the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To be saved. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts the 15th chapter. Do me a favor, grab a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, something that you can write with. Find a piece of paper in the back of your hand or your phone or tablet, something you can write on. And let's ask God to speak to us in practical ways today. Let me begin with a question. And perhaps I should have said, every head bowed, every eye closed. But I won't. Let me just ask the question. How many of you have ever had a disagreement? Raise your hand. Okay. How about this? Because that's rather disappointing for a bunch of church-going people gathered together. How many of you have ever experienced conflict? Raise your hand. Oh, there we go again. Let me try once more. For those of you that are or have ever been married, how many of you have ever had marital conflict? Let me see your hand. What in the world are we going to do? Well, we're all gathered in this building. We call this a church. We are the church gathered. How many of you have ever experienced church conflict? Let me see your hand. Oh, my goodness. Conflict is a reality of life, isn't it? And there's different ways to approach conflict. You can avoid conflict, but that is cowardly. It's there. You don't run from it. You don't pretend it's not there. And frankly, that doesn't help. Some of you are like that. When things go wrong, you just want to pretend it doesn't exist. And that doesn't solve anything. To avoid conflict is cowardly, but to enjoy conflict, now that's crazy. And some of you like it. You're just sick. You need help. If you like conflict, man, that's nutty. I I sometimes feel like when there's a conflict, it's like going up to the parking lot and just scooping up a bowl of gravel and trying to eat it. I mean, that is not something I want to do, but it's a part of life. And so what do we do to resolve and redeem conflict? Now that, that's Christian. That's the way as Christ followers were intended to live. And in Acts 15, we find a biblical pattern for resolving and redeeming conflict. That's why I'm very excited. This is a teaching message. It will be very direct, straight out of the pages of Scripture, and very practical. But before we get to that, let me remind you how we got to here. In the previous chapters in the book of Acts, we have experienced what was the first missionary journey. That's what it's called in Christian history. The first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Paul and Barnabas set out from their home church of Antioch of Syria, this place that is in the news every day today. They set out from their home church and they've 
They've embarked upon going to different places to share the message of the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for your sins, just like Scripture prophesied that he would. He was buried. He rose from the dead, just like Scripture prophesied that he would. And when you trust in what Jesus has done for you, it changes everything. But they immediately begin to find out that some people received the gospel and Jewish people came to Christ and Gentile believers were coming to Christ, but others rejected the gospel. How could they? But they did. And so that's where Paul teaches us that sometimes when that happens, you just have to shake the dust off of your feet and move on. In Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, they had something that was especially unusual that took place in a city called Lystra. Paul had healed a man crippled from birth. And the Bible tells us that the people of Lystra saw what had happened and they thought they were gods. And so they began to call Barnabas Zeus and they began to call Paul Hermes. And, and Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 we're not gods. We're just men like you. And guess what? These people that in one minute were calling them gods, the next minute said, well, then we don't like you. We don't want you around here. And in the midst of all this, these Jews show up from 100 miles away, a place called Iconium. They've chased them down and they stone Paul and throw him outside the city left for dead. Every time I read something like that in scripture, I'm reminded that all of us have people in our life that just won't let it go, right? They just keep hanging on. But Paul got up and he continued to live out his faith. And it's in that setting that we learned this important lesson. When life beats you down by God's grace and with his help, you've got to get up and you've got to go back after it. And some of you have come in today and and you're beat up and you're beat down and you don't know if you can make it. I just want to encourage you. When life's got you there, when you've been beat down, get up. Get back after it for the glory of God. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas did. And they went back to their home church, their sending church. Look at verse 27 of chapter 14. It says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This was the mission trip report setting. So Paul and Barnabas go back to their home church and they say, Hey, listen to what God has done. And by the way, right here we see something very important that is repeated throughout the New Testament. You need a home church. You need a place that you plug into. A a place that is your home in your family of faith. There's not really such a thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, a, a person that's out there on their own. And while we spend most of our lives outside of walls like these, most of the time, most of this week, you've been the church scattered. Wherever you were, you were still the church, but you were there. We are fueled, we are sustained, we are invigorated in our faith when we become the church gathered. So Paul and Barnabas are back with their church. But even as the church gathers, she faces problems, right? That's where that conflict comes in in our homes, in our workplaces, God forbid, in our churches. See, we have an enemy, 
You've only got one enemy. You think those people that you don't like are your enemy. They're not your enemy. You've got one enemy, but he's a doozy. He has a job. His job is to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's roaming to and fro the earth, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. He's after you, and he's after your mama. The devil, Satan, the father of lies, that's our enemy. And sometimes in our life, he'll try to distract us with external circumstances. But if that doesn't work, He'll try to divide us. And he often does that with internal conflict in our homes, in our churches, wherever he can. And that's what began to happen right in the midst of this season while Paul and Barnabas are reporting on their missionary journey. That's what Peter is speaking to in Acts 15 and verse 10, I, I read this this week in a paraphrase of the scripture. It's called the message. Listen to what it says. So why are you now trying to out-God God? Loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too. Hey, last week we learned there is a God, but you're not God. This week we're going to learn that even though we know we're not God, sometime we try to out-God God. We try to pick up the reins and control the situation, acting as if we're in charge. Moment of truth. Any of you here ever guilty of outgodding God? I, I try that sometimes. Peter is addressing what you're going to see as a conflict in the church. And I think he tells us something that will help all of us in our life. Usually, when we find ourselves in the midst of a conflict, it's because we or someone else has tried to out-God God. And it never works. Because <laughs> you're not God, and you can't out-God God. So let's see what made Peter say that. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea, they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that'll throw a damper on a missionary report time. Paul and Barnabas are before the church and they're telling everything that God's done. Jews have gotten saved. Gentiles have gotten saved. Someone was healed. Paul and Barnabas tells this crazy story. And for a moment, they thought we were God and we had to tell them, no, we're not. And then I was stalled and left for dead. But people prayed and I got up and we got back after it. And now we're here. And in the midst of that, some guys come in and they say, hey, you know what? What you're teaching is not true. Those people aren't saved. They couldn't be saved. Not unless they're circumcised. I don't want to go into detail on a Sunday morning, but what he's describing is a God-set-up Jewish covenantal ritual that took place on the human male. And these guys were saying, eh, you can't have a relationship with God unless you've experienced that physical ritual. And, and what's taking place here illustrates a, a problem that has been out there in the Christian faith for a long time. It deals with the question that we've got to answer. The question that separates everyone around us. 
those that know God and those that don't know God. Here's the question. What must a person do to be saved? If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. What must a person do to be saved? Do you know the answer to that question? What do you think it is? We have to be Baptist or Catholic or Methodist, Episcopal or Lutheran or Assembly of God, Presbyterian, non-denominational. Is that what you have to do? Oh, no, no, you have to raise your hand and pray a prayer. Or no, you have to walk down an aisle or be dunked in a tank of water. Or you've got to go to church class or first communion or confirmation. Is that, is that what you have to do? You have to live a good life. I've asked that question around the world many times. If you were standing before God today and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And almost always I get this answer, some version of it. Well, I've lived a pretty good life. I'm a relatively moral person. I make ethical choices. And if God were to look at the good and bad, I think the good would outweigh the bad. And he'd say, come on in. And much of creation thinks that's what it takes to be saved. But Christianity paints a different picture. In fact, Paul would go on to say in the book of Ephesians and talking to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, a summary of what it means to be saved. He would say, for by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one could boast. That's what it means to be saved. So when these guys show up and they begin to say to Paul and Barnabas at the church of Antioch of Syria, hey, these these folks you talked to, they weren't saved. You're not saved unless you've been circumcised. What do you think happened? Disagreement, conflict, big time. Look at verse 2 of chapter 15. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about the question. So the church decided, hey, there's this big conflict. Let's resolve it. Let's not ignore it. Let's not pretend it's not there. Let's not just stay here and fight. Let's resolve the conflict. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, some who? Remember that some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. Here's the same conflict, the same division. But what I want you to see now is that it arose up among believers. You see, it's possible for those of us who call the name of Christ those of us who have begun that relationship with Jesus 
to become divided. And here we see our first truth. Division is unhealthy for any church. Division is not simply difference, right? We are all different. And in our church, that's one of the things we celebrate. It is a big deal around here. In most Sundays that we gather, we have about 64 nations that gather to worship right here. There's a lot of diversity. Different is not bad. Different is just different. But division is bad. Why? Well, because we're created in the image of God and God himself demonstrates unity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. He's a God of unity. When Jesus knelt and prayed, that high priestly prayer for you and me in John 17, the part of the prayer where he mentions us, and he does, generally, he says, those will follow after us. That's me and you. When he mentions us, you know what he prays for? That we would be unified. That we would be one, just as he and the Father is one. Unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to look alike. It's not unanimity. We all don't have to agree on everything, but it's this attitude of unity. We're in non-essential things. We say we can disagree. We can have liberty. In essential things, we say, hey, we've got to be on the same page here. That's what they're going to deal with today. And then in all things, though, we deal in love. That's why this was such a big deal. These Jewish believers were challenging the very core of this new faith. A faith that in Antioch would begin to be called Christianity. They were teaching that before you could become Christian, you had to first become Jewish. And throughout history, we've been guilty of doing that in our own ways. Oh, yes, just as you are, you come. But cut your hair and take out your ear piercings and wear the kind of clothes I'm wearing. Just as you are, you come, but only... Only if you're my kind of people. We don't really take your kind of people around here. See the tendency? The tendency is to to make our own rules and to add to what Jesus has told us to do. They were adding to something, and that meant they were changing their doctrine. This division centered around doctrine, and a church that is divided about its doctrine is deep deterred from developing disciples and that's what we're here to do if we don't have a solid foundation if if we're not unified in these basics of our doctrine boy we're going to get way off track and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands at this point but some of us have been in churches that have gotten off track right gotten sidetracked on the wrong things they're have always been and there will always be people who try to add to the simplicity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But hear this clearly today in case you've never heard it before. God loves you no matter who you are, no matter where you were born, no matter what you've done. Your sin separates you from that love of God and God hates that because God hates sin. So God went to an enormous 
he, he did something out of our normal way of thinking by sending his own son, God himself, to die on the cross to take on the punishment for your sin and my sin so that we don't have to die, so that we could experience that love of God. And all we have to do, as crazy as it sounds, as hard as it is for us to believe, all we have to do is say, all right, God, I believe you. I receive your forgiveness. My faith is in you alone. That's an open door. But in our flesh, it's hard to see how that makes sense. And so somebody put it this way. The gospel is always hindered by people with closed minds who stand in front of open doors and keep people from getting in. And that's what these Jewish background believers were trying to do. They were changing the gospel. Paul would refer to this in Galatians 1. He would call it a different gospel. He would say that they were preaching man's gospel. What were they doing? They were trying to stitch up the torn veil. Remember when the veil was torn in the temple? We talked about last week how the gospel is a dividing line and that word that's used in Acts 14 to describe the division that's caused by the gospel is the same word that was used when the veil was split in the temple. Why was the veil split? It was God's way of demonstrating that through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, that old covenantal system was being replaced by a new covenant. God's shed blood on the cross of Jesus becomes the way to gain access to God. There's no separation. You don't need a priest or a pastor to go to God. You can go to him directly because the veil has been torn. When you add to the gospel, you know what you're doing? You're stitching up the veil. You're saying, God, I I can't come to you. I've got to put something in your place. You're taking the work of the master and saying, I think I can make that a little better. Because of our partnerships in France, I've been to the Louvre in Paris many times. Can you imagine me going into the Louvre and taking a paintbrush or taking a pen and going up to a Picasso or a a Monet or, or a Van Gogh and saying, I think I can make this a little better. I think they've just left something off. How absurd. Well, that's what we do when we add to the gospel. I'm so thankful they did not win the day. I'm so thankful this way of thinking did not gain the majority among the church. We would have been singing different hymns if it had. Amazing circumcision, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. (laughs) Or what about this one? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the law of Moses. I mean, crazy. It was a big deal. And so the church gathered to resolve and redeem this conflict. And that's where we learn a second principle. Godly discussion is a healthy response to division. If godly people gather together, people who have been indwelt by his Holy Spirit, it's hard to think. That if we come together seeking to resolve something, we can't resolve it. Look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Surprising absolutely no one that was present. Because Peter is the guy that always had something to say, right? 
By the way, here he gets it right. What I'm about to read is Peter explaining how the gospel was offered to the Gentiles, not just to the Jewish people, that they didn't have to be circumcised, that they didn't have to follow the laws of Moses. But interesting, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to confront Peter because he didn't always get it right. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect, sponsored by Mission Hill Church. This program was pre-recorded. Faith Talk 570, WTBN, online at letstalkfaith.com, a service of the Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Chicago police say a 7-year-old girl at a family party and a 14-year-old boy were among 13 people shot and killed in the city over the 4th of July weekend. At least 59 people were shot and wounded in Chicago over the weekend. A statue of abolitionist Frederick Douglass ripped off its base in Rochester on the anniversary of one of his most famous speeches. There is no indication the vandalism was tied to the anniversary. Police say the statue of Douglass was taken from Maplewood Park and placed near the Genesee River Gorge on Sunday. Tropical Storm Edward has formed over the four far north Atlantic. Storm posing no immediate threat to land. No coastal storm watches or warnings are in effect currently. On Wall Street, the Dow ahead 371 points. The S&P is up 41. This is SRN News. Take Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910 with you wherever you go. Using our mobile app, letstalkfaith.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Church is where you find the teaching and fellowship to grow in Christ. But between Sundays, how do you keep your spiritual gas tank filled? You can always find strength between Sundays here on Faith Talk, AM 570 and AM 910. But you can also find encouragement on our Facebook page, WTBN AM 570 and 910. Streaming at letstalkfaith.com. Thanks for listening to Faith Talk 570 and 910 as Bill Bunkley takes some well-deserved time off. Coming up next, it's Ministry in the Marketplace with Dr. Richard Hamlet. And at 4 o'clock, Ask an Attorney host Joe Pippen takes over for Bill from 4 to 6. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Today on Ministry in the Marketplace. Just share with them. Say, well, this is what the Bible says. And we really stand as an example of something that shouldn't be successful, shouldn't work, but it's because it's all about God's Word. On today's program, we'll visit with Greg Harris. He's the president of Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. This man from Afghanistan watched the program in Persian or Farsi, as it's called, and he gave his life to Christ.
Welcome to Ministry in the Marketplace, the radio outreach of pastor evangelist, writer, and entrepreneur, Richard Hamlet. If you're unable to stay with us, you can catch today's broadcast on our website. Just go to mitmradio.org and click on the link that says Past Shows. We hope that you'll find hope and encouragement today through God's Word. And stay with us because a little bit later, we'll visit with Greg Harris. Greg is the president of Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. But first, Richard jumps into the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Here with that message is your host, Richard Hamlet. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. The context of this Old Testament passage is Moses was leading the people of God through their wilderness experience. Forty years from Egypt to crossing the River Jordan, Moses was rehearsing the law here in the book of Deuteronomy. He was giving them remembrance. He was exhorting them to think on the things of God, to think on the Ten Commandments that he received there earlier from Mount Sinai as he came down from the mountain as God had written with his own finger on those tablets. And then all the other statutes and all of the other postulates and regulations that God gave through the old covenant because he was a loving God and he had delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. And here they were being ushered into the land of promise, but they were in a wilderness time where there's three observations I want to share, three actual words that are actually adjectives which describe things that are flowing out of this text. It's a straightforward passage, but the Word of God is so clear. Moses, inspired by the Holy Ghost, gives us three straight thoughts. First of all, there's the word prideful. It means to be haughty. It means to be arrogant. You know, we're in a political season today, and so many of the candidates will talk about what they can do for the country. And so many mean well. So many have their policies and procedures, their vision about how they can make America great again. The only way that America will ever be made great again is if Jesus Christ and his gospel permeates through the constituency. And there's not an outward legislation, but there's an inward transformation and this pride, this arrogance that we see many times within our culture today that we see God strip that down. That's the same kind of spirit we see here flowing from verse 17. A person will say, look what I've achieved. I'm a self-made man. There is no such thing as a self-made man. For God has made each person for a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify him in his life on earth. And with the sinfulness of man, with the original sin of Adam, and the actual transgressions of every one of us who've ever lived, we by nature have a sense of pride that we have the great education. We have the great financial resources. Look what we've done with our hands and with our mind. And here in this 21st century and technology propagating all around, more has been accomplished in the last century than has been accomplished from the beginning of time in human civilization. And yet the natural tendency will be to say in the marketplace, look what I have done. Look at my balance sheet. Do you hear me today? We don't need to do it our way. We need to do it God's way. The second word or adjective here 
is the word mindful. The word says in verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God. Moses was saying, Hebrews, Old Testament believers, you have seen God's work of redemption with your eyes, many of you, the ones who had not died yet in the wilderness. You saw God in all his miracles. God, it wasn't me, Moses would say, but it was God using me. Moses had weaknesses, but it was God's strength through him. And so remember these things. Moses was saying, remember the word of God. Remember that it is God who has created you, and you live as a debtor to him. Your next breath, Israelites, is only because God has given you that next breath. Oh, when we break it down and capsulize that thought, it's humbling. It's humbling to know that it is appointed a man once to die, and after that the judgment. It's humbling to know that God has created us, and he's given us the means of life, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's given us the means to spiritual and eternal life. But it is important that we are mindful, and I want to encourage you, fill your mind with the things of God today, dear friend. Don't allow this culture, which is at enmity with God, don't allow the worldly culture to suffocate you and give you spiritual Alzheimer's. You hear me today? Do not forget the Word of God. Keep it fresh. Daily Bible reading, daily Bible study, memorizing Scripture. All flesh is as grass, but it's the Word of God alone which lasts forever. The grass and flower will wither and perish, but it is Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Deuteronomy says to remember these things. And the last observation, another adjective, the word fruitful. Notice the scripture says in verse 18, for it is God who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. Do you understand today that God is a covenant keeping God? Do you realize that the promises of God are all yes and amen in God? through Christ and in us to the glory of God. Do you realize today that God alone can give you and I the power to get wealth, that God is the one who blesses us with the things we have, that whether someone's a billionaire or just has a few dollars, it all belongs to God, and God is the one who has given us the life, the breath, the ability to be educated, to work. If God decided it is all over, it will be done. And we would all be finished with our last breath, and we would have no more opportunity to work and to save and to invest. So I want to challenge you today. Fruitfulness, being fruitful, it means productivity. It means output. And it's not just physical work. Listen, but whatever we do in word or deed, the Scripture says we're to do it under God. So whether we are preaching a message or we are preparing a balance sheet, whether we are out singing a song or we're creating some artistic display, whether we're in the gym lifting weights or whether we are in a civil community gathering or assembly, we are there to do our work unto God. And God is the one who will bless. And this is not just physical wealth. Hear me. This is soul prosperity. And the Apostle John declared in his epistle that his blessing upon his prayer for the people would be that they would prosper physically just like they had prospered spiritually in the gospel. Oh, soul prosperity is when we have wealth that comes from heaven, and it's not wood, hay, and stubble 
or earthly things that will be corruptible or will decay, but it is those things that will last for all eternity. It's those things that are connected to Jesus Christ, the King, as he establishes his kingdom. Do you want to be a kingdom businessman or woman? Join me today in going to the marketplace and declaring to all, rich and poor, in the boardroom, the stateroom, wherever we go, that Jesus Christ is the sufficiency for any sinner who will come and be born again by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you today. Coming up next. Just share with them. Say, well, this is what the Bible says. And we really stand as an example of something that shouldn't be successful, shouldn't work, but it's because it's all about God's Word. Don't miss Richard's conversation with Greg Harris. Greg is the president of Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Ministry in the Marketplace is a listener-supported program. It's because of your faithfulness and financial support that we've been able to personally take the gospel of Jesus Christ to nearly 100 countries through pastor training and local evangelism. And we've seen countless lives changed for eternity. To join us in taking the gospel around the world, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, or you can call us at 1-800-684-6339. That's 1-800-684-6339. Thank you for joining us in making a difference in the marketplace. The GMF Stephen Olford Center in Memphis is the perfect location to host your weekend retreats, church conferences, meetings, fellowship meals, and other events, including weddings. We offer a relaxing, scenic environment in which to connect with the Lord in a refreshing way. Whether you would like to host a luncheon, a dinner, or an overnight event, we have everything you need at the GMF Stephen Olford Center in Memphis. For more information on booking your next event, visit gmfonline.org forward slash SOC. Ministry in the Marketplace. If you want the study of the Bible to be meaningful to you, first of all, read the Scripture. The year was 1967. Dr. J. Vernon McGee began teaching Bible studies that would lay the foundation for what we hear today as through the Bible. Now, more than 50 years later, Dr. McGee's ministry has been translated into 125 languages and can be heard anywhere around the globe on radio, television, as well as digital streaming platforms. I think it's safe to say that Dr. McGee's proclamation of the gospel has impacted multiple generations for Christ. We recently got the chance to sit down with Greg Harris to hear how God is continuing to use Dr. McGee's ministry to encourage believers and to reach the lost. Here with that conversation is your host, Richard Hamlet. We are blessed to have Greg Harris on the program. Greg, welcome to Ministry in the Marketplace. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Can you share with our audience how you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, I was raised in a religious household. My mom took me to church uh, sometimes every day, but I never knew the Lord as my personal Savior. And in 1973, I was 11 years old, and on October 17th, my sister, who had come to faith in Christ through the great ministry of Campus Crusade, Came home, shared the four spiritual laws with me. I was 11 years old, and it was like the light went on. Mm. I saw my sin. I knew I needed a Savior, and I trusted Jesus and and, and was born again. So, And from that point forward, I didn't grow much because I stayed under that church environment that wasn't really Mm Bible-based because I was in my parents' home. 
But when I got into college, I got hooked up with this little ministry called The Navigators. And boy, did I Heard of that. learn about the Bible. And I yeah. also started listening to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So at that time, I really began to grow. So can we talk now about your calling into Christian media? I mean, yeah. you're the president yeah. of Through the Bible. It's amazing. I look back and just see the hand of God through uh, the last 30 years of my life. And my aspiration was, even after I became a believer, I wanted to go into business. I wanted to make money. Uh, my wife, when I met her, she had come back from a missionary trip showing the Jesus film in Africa. And I told her, you know, I don't want to be a missionary. I want to be a businessman. But, you know, we make our plans and God laughs. That's right. right? And so God just redirected my heart. I spent more and more time in the word and I, I wanted to go into ministry full time. And so I went to seminary and uh, thought I'd be a pastor and then felt, no, that's not really what I feel called to do. And a chance phone call. Of course, there are no of chances course. for it's, us. It's called Sweet Providence. Yeah, that's right. Sweet Providence intervened, <laughs> and a chance phone call to a friend at Transworld Radio. He said, your name came up here yesterday, and we were thinking you'd fit this position we need, but I thought you wanted to be a pastor, so I wasn't going to call you. So that led to me joining the great ministry of Transworld Radio. Spent 10 years there. Spent another 10 years uh, at Far East Broadcasting Company. Mm. These are all great media yes. missionary organizations. Got to travel all over the world, and... Back as far as about 28 years ago, I was traveling the world with Through the Bible, teaching different uh, people in different language groups how to take his content and develop it into a radio program in their language. So that's exciting. So you have the privilege of extending the ministry of J. Vernon McGee. It is an unspeakable privilege. I am so humbled. It is just something to behold, to watch God bless what should not work. Yeah. We, we often say we are the bumblebee of the Christian ministry world. The, you know, engineers say a bumblebee can't fly. Well, we do everything wrong. We have, we have 40-year-old content on the air. We have a speaker who's been with the Lord for 32 years. We don't fundraise. We don't ask really for money. We spend more than half of what we get on our global ministry. So this is not a ministry that you design that should work. But it has worked because God's in it. Amen. I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with J. Vernon McGee. Uh, We want to ask you now, could you share with us a few stories of what you've observed in your role as president of this organization in terms of the connectivity of those hearing the message of the Word of God, the gospel from J. Vernon McGee, and their response by the grace of God? Yes, the answer is yes, I can. Go (laughs) for it. The only answer is you don't have that much time. Uh, We are in 125 different languages and heard almost everywhere on earth through radio and all kinds of digital streams. The transformation stories literally are pouring in. We, We can hardly keep up with them. I'll share just a couple of them. Some are very, very recent. Uh, on January 6th of 2020, we went on the air with Persian television. As you remember, there was a lot of tension between the United States and Iran. People are telling us Iran is locked down tight. Uh, I got a report after the end of the first month that we had over 6,000 likes on a Facebook page, Amen. which means people were listening and liking it already in four weeks. Amen. And then I got an email that said a man from Afghanistan, because this is satellite TV covering huge parts of the globe, This man from Afghanistan watched the program in Persian, or Farsi, as it's called, and he gave his life to Christ in Afghanistan. Imagine that. We also recently uh, aired a letter. This is, I love this, from Algeria, incredibly difficult part of the world to be a Christian. This woman wrote and said, I am leaving Islam immediately after months of listening to your program. I and my family, I have 10 children, and they have children. And she said, there are now 45 of us in Christ. 
And the stories like that just continue. That's amazing. Richard, I've met, I met a woman in India who was in such a desperate situation. She was going to kill her children first with poison because she didn't want to leave them without a mother and then kill herself. And she heard the Through the Bible program in her language. It began to turn around in her life. And she now is, is a leader of what we have in India called a home group movement where people are listening in small groups to Dr. McGee. We have 10,000 groups in South Asia. Mm-hmm. And so these, these are actually fairly typical of the things that God is doing through Amen. the simple preaching of his word. So let's talk about Christian media, specifically radio as a yeah. venue, the preaching of the gospel to the marketplace. It's not a substitute for the church proclamation, not at all. but it's yeah. a supplement yeah, absolutely. to the proclamation to enhance what the church is doing on a regular basis and pastors. Can you share from the overflow the importance of this media? Yeah, it is so vitally important. And you made a great point, Richard. It It is not in competition with the church. It augments the church. Yes. I remember being part of ministry to Russia where we were putting new stations in Russia and the pastors at first were saying you're you're going to come in here and steal our sheep and steal our money and and then what happened is after about six months they would say wow we have about eight or ten people every week showing up saying we heard about this Jesus (laughs) on the radio and they told us to go to church and that is a key a part of the strategy we always encourage people to go to a Bible believing church you know we we don't support the idea that you get all of your ministry through media but media is powerful. And I think it's the top end of the funnel and can help bring people to the church. So let's talk about J. Vernon McGee for just a yeah. minute, and then we'll begin to close this conversation. Yeah. So briefly, he was a pastor yeah. in a church or multiple churches? Yeah, multiple churches in the southeast. He was born in Hillsboro, Texas in 1904. Uh, he died in 1988. But his, his most well-known pastorate was the Church of the Open Door in downtown Los Angeles. And that, that actually is where Biola the Biola University, great Christian university, started in uh, that church. He was the first chairman of the Bible department at Biola, what was yeah. then. Was the that Bible. a non-denominational church? Yes, uh, non-denominational. It had a huge yeah. uh, sign in a neon that said, Jesus saves. It was downtown Los Angeles. And he had a great, great ministry there. Amen. And and one of the things, Richard, that was important to him ph- philosophically is he always uh, taught the whole Bible as a pastor. And so it was the most natural thing in the world when he retired to say, why don't I use radio to teach the whole Bible? Super. Well, as we close this conversation, we have many in our national audience who are not pastors. They're not presidents of media corporations. Uh, They're ordinary followers of Jesus uh, who many will never hear about this side of heaven. And they have the privilege of sharing Christ and intentional personal evangelism in the marketplace. I want you to encourage them how important it is for them to allow God to use them in their witness. It is vitally important, and we we so often hear listeners who share through the Bible or other great media ministries and say, would you just listen to this? And that is a great ministry in yes, itself. Of course. And so, yes, be encouraged. And the thing that we feel that we are here to say to the whole world is don't ever forget the power of simply sharing the word of God. Amen. Let God speak. So when yes. you talk to people, just share with them. Say, well, this is what the Bible says. Amen. And, and we really stand as, as an example of Something that shouldn't be successful, shouldn't work, but it's because it's all about God's Word. God is in the business of using ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary matters. Amen. And He uses the ordinary means of grace, the Word of God, and prayer. Amen. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen, brother. How can our audience connect with you? 
simply go to ttb.org and you'll, you'll be able to learn about the ministry. The one thing we always ask people to do is join our prayer team. That's another thing that anybody can do to make a difference in this world. We have 10,000 people awesome. that pray, and you'll get an email every day about a different country of the world with a great impact story, and you just go to ttb.org forward slash pray. Greg, thanks for the conversation. Thank you, Richard. You're listening to Ministry in the Marketplace with pastor, evangelist, writer, and entrepreneur Richard Hamlet. Our guest today has been Greg Harris. He's the president of Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. If you missed any part of Richard's conversation with Greg, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, and click on the link that says Past Shows. Coming up next on Ministry in the Marketplace. As a family, we lost so much. We used to live for months underground uh, without water or electricity. We didn't know when the next meal would come from. We'll hear a sample from next week's program when Richard visits with Samia Johnson. She's the founder of Call of Love Ministries. Ministry in the Marketplace is a listener-supported program. It's because of your faithfulness and financial support that we've been able to personally take the gospel of Jesus Christ to nearly 100 countries through pastor training and local evangelism. And we've seen countless lives changed for eternity. To join us in taking the gospel around the world, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, or you can call us at 1-800-684-6339. That's 1-800-684-6339. Thank you for joining us and making a difference in the marketplace. The GMF Stephen Olford Center in Memphis is the perfect location to host your weekend retreats, church conferences, meetings, fellowship meals, and other events, including weddings. We offer a relaxing, scenic environment in which to connect with the Lord in a refreshing way. Whether you would like to host a luncheon, a dinner, or an overnight event, we have everything you need at the GMF Stephen Olford Center in Memphis. For more information on booking your next event, visit gmfonline.org forward slash SOC. I lived during the civil war in Lebanon that started in 1975. I was seven years old by then, and it lasted till 1990. That was a civil war between Christians and Muslims. Lebanon was the only Arab country that was majority Christian, 70%. And Satan didn't like this, so the Palestinians put their hands together with the Muslims of uh, Lebanon and eventually Syria stepped in and they tried to take over Lebanon. So there was dire war. I lost many of my friends who were killed. As a family, we lost so much. We used to live for months underground without water or electricity. We didn't know when the next meal would come from. So I grew up hating Muslims. But when I was 20 years old, I praise the Lord that he opened the door for me to work in a Christian Arabic radio station. I didn't know that I would be serving Muslims. I thought only Christians. And I was amazed that most of the letters we received were coming from Yemen, from Saudi Arabia, from Sudan. And when I opened the first letter, all this anger came out. And I said, God, no, I'm not going to reach Muslims. They would not understand your message, and they do not deserve to hear your message. And the Holy Spirit within me said, do you, Samia, deserve the saving grace? Ministry in the Marketplace. And now, with today's wrap-up, is Richard Hamlet. 
Well, Moses declared to the people of God in the book of Deuteronomy that God is the one who creates life, that he is the one that gives power to create wealth. And dear friend, everything that we see and everything that we are belongs to God. Let me ask you this question. Have you submitted your life to God? You realize that you and I belong to God by creation first. He created us. But also in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, if we are born again, then we belong to him through redemption. And so today I want to pray for you because the marketplace is in need. Many in the marketplace don't have anything to remember of the word of God because they haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So will you join me in going to the marketplace and being salt and light and declaring the eternal riches of glory in Jesus Christ? God, I pray for each listener that right now, God, they would remember from your word and from their Christian experience that you are faithful and you are a good God and that you have a plan for them and that they are being conformed in the image of Christ and that, Father, you've left them here to be an instrument of mercy, to be a mouthpiece, to declare the gospel, to share Jesus with those everywhere, anywhere in the marketplace. And, Father, I just pray right now that you would encourage each listener and I pray, Lord, that they would see their life in a different way even today as being one who is advancing the kingdom of God, which is the rule and reign of King Jesus in the hearts and minds of his people. Father, I just pray that you would do that for your glory, and I pray that our listeners would be so satisfied because you are most glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ministry in the Marketplace with pastor evangelist, writer, and entrepreneur Richard Hamlet. If you missed any part of today's broadcast, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, and click on the link that says Past Shows. Ministry in the Marketplace is a listener-supported program. It's because of your faithful financial support that we've been able to personally take the gospel of Jesus Christ to nearly 100 countries through pastor training and local evangelism, and we've seen countless lives changed for eternity. To join us in taking the gospel around the world, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, or you can call us at 1-800-684-6339. We also want to encourage you to keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tune in next week when Richard Hamlet brings you another edition of Ministry in the Marketplace. Ministry in the Marketplace is sponsored by Global Ministries Foundation. Boost Our Medicated Ointment gets five-star reviews from our loyal users for fast relief of the pain and itch of almost any skin irritation. Blue Star soothes insect bites and fungal infections. It really works on the summer rashes I get every year. I had psoriasis on my elbows. Blue Star worked wonders. Amazing stuff. Mirabit on and the itch is gone. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast or your money back. Land ho! <laughs> hey, hey, seriously, land, land ho, guys. Guys, land ho! I'm land ho! Land ho! Land ho! Right there! The tides can turn quick on the water. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered with sign and glide on water towing. Get a quote today in as little as three minutes at progressive.com. I gotta say, this land ho thing, not very effective. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. 
White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany says President Trump is not saying whether or not he's in favor of displaying the Confederate flag at NASCAR races. He said he was not making a judgment one way or the other. Uh, the intent of the tweet was to um, stand up for the men and women of NASCAR and the fans and uh, those who have gone in this rush to judgment of the media to call something a hate crime when, in fact, the FBI report concluded this was not an intentional racist act. The president accusing NASCAR's only black driver, Bubba Wallace, of perpetrating a hoax after a rope shaped like a noose was found in a garage stall. Federal authorities ruled that that rope had been hanging there for months and was not a hate crime. On Wall Street, stocks remain sharply higher. The Dow is up 446 points and the NASDAQ ahead 220. This is SRN News. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Hey, face coverings are no longer a thing of the future. They're here and probably here to stay at least for a while. So let's talk about face coverings and having the right protection. Joining me today is Suzanne Hobbs, Director of Communications with Boomer Naturals. Boomer Naturals is a full-service wellness company that provides products and services that enhance your well-being and increases your quality of life. Thank you, Suzanne, for being with us today. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Now, as we're talking about face coverings, we know that not all face coverings uh, offer the same protection. Tell us where you get your mask from and why that is very important. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's great to see friends and neighbors sewing face covers and, and handing them out, or, you know, but those types of single layer or bandanas just do not offer real protection. As we're now learning over the weeks and months of trying many different types of face covers, we're realizing we need to have something that really protects and has multiple layers and that the cloth has been treated with something to, to stop drops and particles. So we've been able to source from Vietnam these incredibly highly protective three-layer face covers. One of the founders of of Boomer Naturals is from Vietnam and has some great connections there. So we're bringing to the United States face covers that aren't typically available here. And that nanosilver technology is really valuable to have in a face cover. Now, I've been reading about that. Tell me what this nanosilver technology is all about and why does it matter in a face covering? Absolutely. If you have a, a face cover and you're wearing it and you're trying to stop drops and particles from getting into your nose and mouth, then you want to have something that will stop that. And that's what nanosilver does. There are many studies about how great it is when it's woven and infused into a tightly woven cotton polyester cloth. So you want to have those drops and particles be killed. And that's what that does. So nanosilver is what you should be looking for in a face cover. And that's what we offer at Boomer Naturals. By the way, that website right now to check it out right this moment is boomernaturals.com. That's boomernaturals.com. And if you will use promo code BUNK20 at checkout, you'll save 20%. And that promo code is BUNK20. Now, we have all been through and we have seen those single-use masks, but these boomer coverings can be worn for 30 days. Why is that? Yeah, it's, it's because of that nano-silver technology. Instead of wearing a, a face covering that you're going to throw away every single day that gives very little protection, these will last you 30 full days of use. They are so comfortable, so breathable, and at the end of each day, just hand wash it or put it in the washing machine, and that nano-silver eventually breaks down and is not as protective, and so it'll last for uh, about 30, 30 washes. 
Mm. Now, we're still sort of operating under the understanding that uh, face coverings are very hard to come by. Uh, So the big question is, are your coverings in stock right now, and uh, where do they ship from? Absolutely. They ship from our warehouse in Las Vegas. We're shipping out same day. So if you order today and you put in that promo code BUNK20, you will get that mailed out to you today. So we are finally caught up on our big rush of orders, and uh, we have many different patterns and multiple sizes for adults and children, and they're in stock now. So we say order now, but we are bringing in hundreds of thousands of new face covers every week. So we're, we're doing our best to stay in stock as much as possible. All right, go right now to BoomerNaturals.com. That's BoomerNaturals.com to uh, order yours today. Be sure to use promo code BUNK20 at the checkout, and you will save 20%. That promo code is BUNK20. And uh, our audience is always uh, just very interested in uh, giving back, and you are giving back. Uh, Talk about how you're donating one mask for every one order made. Tell us about that program. You bet. That's a big part of who we are at Boomer Naturals is we believe in giving back. So when your listeners place their order today, we are able to then donate one face cover for their order to veterans organizations and nonprofits and homeless, you know, soup kitchens, all sorts of different places that have reached out to us and said that they're in desperate need of face covers. We have now donated more than 100,000 face covers across the country. So we're thankful for everyone helping us support our mission of giving back. Now, I want to tell you, for more information right now on Boomer Naturals 30-Day Protective Face Covers, go right now to BoomerNaturals.com. That's BoomerNaturals.com. And remember, right now, there's a special opportunity for you to save 20%. Go to BoomerNaturals.com. Use the promo code BUNK20. And, again, that promo code is B-U-N-K-20, and you'll save 20% right there at the checkout. Again, that website is BoomerNaturals.com. Suzanne Hobbs, good to have you with us today. You bet. Thanks so much. Stay safe, everybody. Listen to your favorite Christian programs anytime on the OnePlace app. Download and listen offline. Stream to your car or automated home device. Download OnePlace at Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Ask an attorney about Florida law. Ask an attorney. Just give him a call. This is Ask an Attorney. All about Florida law with attorney Joe Pippen. If you have a legal question, call Joe right now in Tampa. Call 813-287-5700. Anywhere else, toll free at 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. The law office is open. And now your host, Joe Pippen. Bunkley today on Ask a special edition of Ask an Attorney, all about Florida law. If you have a legal question, uh, we're here just to help you in any way we possibly can. Uh, goal here is to talk to you, get your question, hopefully satisfy you, get you pointed in the right direction, and help a lot of other people who might be listening with a similar circumstance. Again, you're listening to uh, Attorney Joe Pippen filling in for Bill Bunkley. You have a toll-free number if you'd like to call the show. It's 877 877- Nine four three nine six seven three. That's eight seven seven nine four three nine six seven three. And phone lines are open. We're here to help. Question can be just about anything. It can be about wills, trusts, probate, power attorneys, healthcare surrogates, living wills. Can be 
about just about any area of law. I want to check with my producer to make sure the 877-943 number is right because we have another number on the screen here. Okay, all right. 877-943-9673. And phone lines are open. And love for you to be our first caller on this uh, Monday afternoon at a little bit after 4 o'clock. Again, your question can be about wills, trust, probate, guardianship, power attorneys, health care, surrogates. can be about living wills. can be just about uh, any area of law. So I had an interesting uh, client conversation with a day. It came across by me the email that I must call this person. They are in a desperate situation and had to make a decision very quickly. So I kind of put them at the top of the list and give them a call. And their question was, the uh, wife had died. The son was on the phone with his dad. The wife had died, and the question was, they were trying to decide whether to be cremated or buried. And I'm thinking, well, why are they, why do they want me to make that decision? So they wanted to make the right decision. They wanted to know if there were any, any, um, concerns they should have if they were cremated and was that the christian thing to do and whether or not they should be buried or cremated well the end of the uh the conversation went on a little bit because it kind of questioned why they wanted me to make that decision and they just wanted to have someone else to talk to i guess and the uh kind of the end result of the question was that he was a, a veteran and they had uh, they had the right to be buried at a veteran um, cemetery, and so that's what he chose to do. He chose to be buried, and his wife, of course, would be uh, buried, and they would be together at the cemetery. So I don't know. Do you? Uh, it's not probably not the first time I've had that question. I've had that question on the radio a few times. And so there are a lot of things to think about in estate planning. That last day sometimes can surprise people and you don't have things planned and organized and maybe fully discussed. And a lot of people kind of put off estate planning. So it's very, very important you get your act together, get your assets organized, and have a plan. You know, God entrusted every one of us with, uh, with assets here. Notice I didn't say he gave them to you or allowed you to earn them. He loaned them to you, and you're in charge of being a good steward of whatever assets you you have here on earth. And you're also, I think, charged with being a good steward of what happens to those assets. So if you have a legal question about estate planning, wills, trust, probate, guardianship, power attorneys, health care surrogates, anything like that, uh, give me a call. Phone lines are open at 877 943 9673-877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. And we are certainly here to uh, help as many people as we can on the Drive Time Show. Now, at 5 o'clock, we have something uh, really special coming up. I have an interview with an author of a book, of a man who wrote a book called Jesus in the Courtroom. So you're going to have to uh, to stay tuned to listen to what that's all about. Lots of interesting questions and conversations will come about uh, on this book. I saw this av- book advertised in one of the Christian, well, actually it's a Christian Legal Association magazine. 
And he, uh, so I called him and I said, look, I'd like to uh, get that book and read it and maybe interview you on my show. Well, uh, I figured that Bunk- Bunkley's Drive Time show would be a better place for him to be interviewed than my Ask an Attorney show because my Ask an Attorney show on Saturday mornings is just strictly all call and answer. But we're going to uh, open up the audience a little bit for callers also to be able to call in. All right, again, I'm Attorney Joe Pippen, practicing attorney, host of Ask an Attorney, all about Florida law. Um, since 1984, one of the longest shows in Florida, if not the longest, continual show with the same host, same format. And if you have a legal question, I'd love to help you today. Again, it's 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. You know how if you, you have a Facebook account, they remind you uh, uh, 10 years ago, once in a while you get this email of something you did 10 years ago that was posted on the same exact date. So this morning uh, I got an email from uh, Facebook on 10 years ago, exactly July 6, 2010. You were, uh, you, I had posted this sheet of celebrating my 25th anniversary on the radio at the time. And I had in studio here, I had uh, Bob DeAndre and his wife. I had Herman and Sharon Bailey on. I had Arthleen Rippey, and I had Charlie Martin. They were all here in the studio with me. And there was, uh, they posted the uh, on Facebook today, which I reposted, a picture of uh, all of them and an announcement about, about the show. So if you uh, like having a state planning question, you know, what are the most often questions I've gotten over the years? I think the most often asked question is, is my out-of-state will good in Florida? And the answer to that question is maybe. Or it depends, I guess, is the legal answer. It just depends. And the uh, question is that um, it depends because it needs to be reviewed. And it needs to be reviewed because states are different from uh, state to state. We have a, uh, in a lot of ways, are different on the way it's witnessed and notarized and so forth. All right, let's go to our first caller. Let's go to Scott calling. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. And where are you calling from? Bradenton, Florida. All right, sir. What can we do for you? My question involves the phrase, at will state. Uh, people can be terminated. I've heard that. Now, what's, what's uh, the people- phrase? What's the phrase again? Phrase is, is Florida is an at will state. At will state. You know, yeah. Meaning, meaning, you could bring in an employee and say, "Look, we're going a different direction. You know, we're we're moving on from you." I've heard that uh, applies to people that are salaried, and then I've heard that it applies to people that are hourly. I would just like some type of clarification what an at will state means. Well, it means unless you've been unless you have an employment contract, they can terminate you at will. You can be fired from your job. It doesn't matter on how long you've been there. It doesn't matter on what you did. Unless that you were discriminated against, you can be terminated. Okay, so if I so, brought someone in, say a, a less than admirable employee and said, oh, okay, you know, we're going to let you go. We're moving in a different direction. 
that uh, that can't come back as wrongful termination? Not unless you're you know there is discrimination in the termination. Gotcha, gotcha, and that that applies for hourly and salary individuals both. It does. I appreciate no, the, the uh, if if you can if a smart person went to work for a company they would try their best to be have an employment contract. Yes, absolutely, and, I agree with that. And that would take care of the issue. Yes, sir. Thank all right, you. all right. Then all you have to argue about is the reason you were terminated right. is not <laughs> covered by the contract. So, all right. Well, I'm glad I helped. Thanks for listening to Ask an yes, Attorney. Uh, we're on every Saturday morning at eight o'clock. Uh, longest running show in Florida, thirty six years. And running, and our main purpose is just to talk to as many people as we can and give them assistance and guidance and help. And other people who are listening also hopefully learn from the same thing. You have a toll-free number here today at 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. Let's go to Cheryl calling. Hello there, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah, where are you calling from, Cheryl? from Sarasota, Florida, and uh, I, I congratulate you on all your years of uh, being able to do this. Um, my question is regarding uh, common law marriage. I am being informed by Social Security that I do not qualify for spousal benefits because uh, my spouse and I have a uh, common law marriage uh, in the state of Texas, and uh, their attitude was that uh, it is not a valid marriage at all. Um, so that would mean that uh, any children that we did have would be illegitimate as far as they're concerned. And, um, you know, anything else to do with uh, the house being in both of our names or anything else would not be applicable. So that's why I'm trying to um, get some information. All right. Well, my advice there, I think, would be to get a Texas attorney, uh, talk to a Texas attorney, get a Texas attorney to prepare some type of affidavit that you – are considered married under the laws of Texas under the common law statute. So I'm not really familiar with what the common law statute is and what constitutes a common law marriage in Texas, but I think to be able to satisfy or counter somebody who says you're not married is to get an attorney to write a letter or, or sign an affidavit that you are based on the facts of a particular uh, statute in Texas. All right. Well, I appreciate your kindness in talking with me. And again, uh, you have yourself a wonderful day and stay healthy. All right. Thank you so much. All right. The state of Florida has no common law marriage, of course. So you're not considered married if you live together, have children together, own assets together. You're not considered married until you go through a, uh, have a marriage certificate and have someone perform uh, the notary services to go along with proving you're married. Uh, so common law marriage does not work in Florida. Hey, you're listening to Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law. Again, I'm Attorney Joe Pippen, practicing attorney. The law office is open, as I like to say. And if you have a legal question, all you have to do is to uh, call the number 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. The law office is open. More than glad to assist you in any way I can. If you have a legal question, and all you have to do is dial that number. Get lots of questions about estate planning. Uh, if you, since on that last question, if you're not, if you're not, if you're married and there's a common law marriage, and you move to Florida and you're considered married in another state, then the spouse does have spousal rights to the estate, and that's an interesting question. 
what are spousal rights? Well, if you're married and die and say you're in a second marriage and you want to leave everything to your respective children and not your spouse and you entered into the marriage with separate assets and you want to protect them, then uh, you your spouse has an automatic spousal right to part of your state. So you might not be able to protect them all without the premarital agreement. So what is a spouse entitled to? Well, a spouse is entitled to live in your home for life. So let's say you entered into a marriage and you own the home, and it's just in your name, and you get married, and you die. Well, your spouse has a right to sell that home, take half the proceeds, or live in their home for their life. They have what's called the life estate. And they also have a right to 30% of the rest of your estate. So it's very interesting of what the spousal rights are. You have to plan to avoid those. Suppose you got married and you didn't know anything about these spousal rights. Or perhaps you got married and you totally trusted your spouse not to exercise those rights. And things have changed along the way. Now you're worried about it. Maybe the spouse is a little uh, incompetent and they have a very aggressive uh, child. That's their power of attorney that you fear might want to exercise those rights if you passed away first. Lots of things can happen, and it's better to be prepared and plan for it at 877. You can call and ask questions about it at 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. The law office is open today for this uh, Bill Bunkley drive time hour from 4 to 5. We're glad to be here and glad to uh, be able to give legal information, answer legal questions, and be of some service to you. Five o'clock again, we have a special hour coming up with an interview uh, with an author, John Mock, who wrote Jesus in the Courtroom. Now, was Jesus in the courtroom? What uh, laws came about that he discussed in the Bible? Are there any conflicts in the laws in the Bible? Uh, so we'll talk about all of those issues here at 5 o'clock. Hope you uh, will be able to listen, listen to that. Been looking forward to uh, pre- preparing that show. So a spouse is entitled to those things. Uh, so does that include other assets besides a house? Yeah. Suppose you have a retirement. Suppose you're married in a second marriage, for example. Suppose you have a retirement account where you left everything to your respective children. Suppose you die and you're married. Hey, your spouse can uh, interfere with those those beneficiaries named on the retirement account. They're entitled to 30% of those. So by statute, you think you uh, have given assets out according to your wishes, and that's all safe, but it might not be. Certainly something that you should be uh, concerned about, and certainly something you can plan uh, plan to change. So other things in estate planning, a lot of people, one of my most common questions is, why does my will have to go through probate? Well, a will has to go through probate because you die with assets just in your name. Assets in a deceased person's name require a probate proceeding. And think about it. So you walk into, I prepare a will for someone. The will leaves everything to the son. The parent dies. The son walks into the bank with the will. The bank says, well, uh, when it, we can't give you this money. You need it for it to go through probate. And the son says, why? I'm the son. My parent named me as the personal representative, left me 100% of the estate. Why does that will have to go through probate? Why can't you, you know, walk into the bank with a death certificate in the will and say, hey, look, he left everything, he or she left everything to me, give me the money. 
The bank's answer is, well, I'm not sure that's the last will. You know, your dad could have made a will on this date, and he could have made a will three months later and did something else. And how do we know this is the last will? So that will has to go through probate. You're going to have to go to court to prove that's the last will. And so uh, you need an attorney to do that. So son goes to find an attorney, and the attorney verifies all that and then has to go through probate. The problem, one of the problems with probate is probate is a long, drawn-out, expensive process. It could cost up to uh, 3 to 6% of the estate, takes six months to a year. And the person who died chose that method because that's what they did in their estate plan. They could have done something else to avoid probate. We talk about that a lot on Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law, and people have lots of questions about uh, wills versus trust and what the cost of probate is, probate is and how long it takes and all of those issues. Hey, if I can help you in this, uh, I don't get to do the drive time show very often. I get to do it once in a while. I'm glad to be here. But if you have a legal question, you have about 20, you have 35 minutes left in the show to call in and get your answers. And you don't have to call an attorney or find an attorney to answer your question, you could call the show and I'll be more than glad to try to help you. You have a toll-free number, 877-943-9673. You have a toll-free number at 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. And again, we are very much happy to be here and glad to be able to uh, be of service to help you in any way we possibly can. So suppose you're listening about all this premarital agreement and spousal rights, and you say, oh my gosh, I should wish I had done that. Is it too late? Well, it's too late to do a premarital agreement, but there's a legal document called a postmarital agreement. Now, a postmarital agreement is a little bit more involved. You would have been better off by doing a pre, but if you didn't do a premarital, you on a postmarital, you have to have an extensive list of all of your assets, and they all have to be disclosed. And that's not always necessary on a premarital agreement. Some people do it anyway, just have full disclosure. But if you didn't want to disclose your assets, you can uh, both waive the right to disclose the assets in a premarital agreement, and you can you can uh, go ahead and do the document that where you waive your spousal rights basically to the other person's estate. Uh, and that's called a postmarital agreement. And a lot of people who realize that maybe they should have had a premarital agreement, a lot of people... My, our family law attorney won't even do a premarital agreement if the process is, get, tries to get started like 30 days before the marriage. So some people are planning on getting married. They talk about a premarital agreement. They keep putting it off, and then like 30 days before they get married, they decide they want one. Well, the family law attorney in our firm does not will uh, make them wait if they want to use her till after the marriage because they don't want the uh, pressure or aside to argue they were forced into it before marriage, uh, didn't have enough time to consider it, read it, understand it, didn't, wasn't represented by their own attorney fully, and they have a bunch of reasons why they want to ch- try to challenge it. So you always read about the famous uh, Hollywood challenges to pre- and post-marital agreements, so we take every step we possibly can to try to um, avoid that issue. Now, I had a client today who who called me. Most all of their, retire, their their assets were in a retirement account. Now, do you need a living trust if you have, have a retirement account? 
Well, a lot of our clients uh, who have retirement accounts, sometimes that's their largest asset, and they want to control how the money's distributed out. They don't want to make a beneficiary a child who would get all the money like at once. So they're uh, controlling language you can put into a, a, like a trust, make the beneficiary of the retirement account a trust, and have it come into to that account. If you have a legal question, I'm Attorney Joe Pippin. It's uh, July the 6th, 2020. You're listening to a live broadcast, and the name of the show is Ask an Attorney. And if you have a legal question, you can call in with a legal question. Get your answer. Get pointed in the right direction. And you would be helping other people, too, who are listening who might have a very similar question. So the phone number you can call into the show is 877 943 9673. That's 877 943 9673. Phone lines are open. And we are here to uh, serve as many people as we possibly can. All you have to do is to uh, dial that number 877 943 9673. One of the more common questions I get about wills and trusts is who can serve? Who should I name? Can I name my out-of-state brother as the personal representative of my will? Uh, who should I manage? Who should be the trustee of my trust? And are there any requirements where that person can't be or can be under uh, what circumstances? Well, a personal representative of a will must be a blood relative, up or down the bloodline, uh, or be a resident of the state of Florida. So an out-of-state friend, for example, would not qualify to be your personal representative. If you have an out-of-state will and moved to Florida and you named a friend in that state, they probably could have served if you were still a resident of that state, like in Florida. But if you moved to Florida, let's say you did a Florida will naming a friend as the personal representative. Well, in Florida, a friend from another state doesn't qualify. So uh, let's go to, and we have a caller here, so I'll come back to that. Let's go to Diana. Hey, Diana. Hey, how are you today? Good. Where are you calling from? Sarasota. Sarasota. Okay. Um, I, uh, yep, yep. I have a question. Say, for instance, you're a single person, no children, no fam- no family at all, and you're concerned about um, your what may happen to you if you become incapacitated, say, in the hospital? And, of course, with COVID, that's kind of scary. So if you make the health care, um, what is it that you call healthcare that? Surrogate. Healthcare surrogate. Mm-hmm. Healthcare well, surrogate. Okay. So you have to have a surrogate. But my question first was, how does any doctor or hospital know that you have a written plan if you don't have someone to speak for you? Well, a healthcare surrogate is that someone to speak for you, and a lot of hospitals will ask you when you. A lot of your doctors will keep uh, information on your medical chart or in their files. The friend or person you name, you can keep their name and address in your wallet in case you have an accident somewhere where they so a contact could be contacted about your condition. Uh, and you certainly, if you have a family doctor, you can leave that information for your file for your file information. And most, yeah. my, my experience is most of the hospitals and medical doctors are all kind of associated somehow or another. 
and electronically they can pass information around in, when need be. So if you have a, a doctor associated with a hospital, uh, he, they have a file that's you know in the hospital computer system to where you get checked into the hospital. They'll know your allergies and your prescriptions and a lot of, a lot of information about you. So, so what if uh, you've moved here from out of state and have no doctor? And actually, I'm in excellent health, but you never know what's going to happen. And I, I don't want to live on machines and that type of thing. So that's what I'm. What, what what would you recommend to someone like that who is uh, you know doesn't have any great friends here, doesn't really have a doctor, doesn't really need one? Um, well, the person. How should, would anyone know? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, the person can have uh, my clients. I'd recommend them. Have, they have a living will. A living will says if you're terminal, vegetative, unconscious, you don't want to be artificially prolonged. And a person okay. like you who has no friends or family in Florida. Uh, you could, I give them my business card to carry around with them in their wallet. So maybe stick one on their fridge if they want to, so that I can be contacted. If I'm, if the rescue squad comes in and takes you out, they might look on your fridge to see if you have anything posted or in the kitchen somewhere, or maybe your wallet, they'll, they'll, you'll grab that and they'll have my business card in there. And then they'll contact me. And then the hospital tells me, gives, proves me you're there and need that document released, I can send that document, uh, I can email or text or fax that email, that living will to them that says if you're terminal, vegetative, unconscious, end stage, you don't want to be artificially prolonged. So then they Perfect. they won't prolong your life, and they'll disconnect the ventilator or not hook it up, and so forth. Okay, that sounds good. So what do you charge for just a simple will and the living will for one person? A living will, we have flat fees, and we post them on our website, uh, is 150 uh, A last will and testament is 150 and a living will is uh, 75 Perfect, perfect. I've listened to you on Saturday mornings. I was so surprised to hear you this afternoon. Yeah, once in a while I come in and do a drive-time show, so I'm glad to be here. So I'm glad you caught me both places. So. Well, thank you. That gives me a lot of peace of mind. So we'll be uh, talking soon. Now I'm going to get those two things taken care of. All right, very good. Thank you. Have a lovely day. You too. So if you'd like some information about wills and trust, uh, we have this large poster sheet that I make available. And uh, the poster sheet, are we live? Oh, this is tape. Live now? Okay. So uh, if you're watching, you can watch us on Facebook Live now. So you can, uh, in, on the Facebook Live, we have our poster sheet posted up there on the screen. But if you'd like, if you're not, and would like a copy of it, we can send it to you. It's a full-size poster sheet with five articles on one side. On the other side, we have uh, all of our contact information. And if you'd like it, I'd love to mail it to you. You can call our toll-free office number. In fact, you can call right now. They're open till 5 o'clock today. If not, you can leave a message. If you'd like the free estate planning poster sheet, toll-free number is 1-800-226-3529. That's 1-800-226-3529. If you want to email me, you can email me at Joe for the poster sheet. I just need your name and address. Joe at A-T-T-Y-P-I-P dot com. That's Joe at A-T-T-Y-P-I-P dot com. If you want to text me, you can do that at 727-667-3967. That's 
1-800-227-6767 if you want to text me your name and address for the poster sheet. We have 24 minutes left in the show today. Ask an attorney all about Florida law. I'm attorney Joe Pippen. If you have a legal question, be more than glad to try to help you at 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. And I am more than glad to try to help you. Your question probably help other people listening. That's the uh, way talk radio works. You come up with a topic or a question and you talk about it and other people are listening and they can learn or benefit from it. And a lot of people need to take legal action on their estate plan and don't even know it until sometimes we talk about it on the radio show. Uh, the durable power attorney statute in Florida changed October 1st of 2011. And what changed was the whole statute changed, actually. Uh, before October 1st of 2011, I was doing a power of attorney document that was like four pages long. And after the statute, the power of attorney went to like 12 pages. And there's uh, three pages of, a pla- of things you have to initial. And you have to initial, uh, the ones I get most of my clients to initial are concerning Medicaid. Uh, So the reason that's if you don't have those initialed, you might not be able to do the Medicaid application and get special benefits or even able to move assets around a little bit. So we have a full-time Medicaid attorney on staff that does nothing but Medicaid planning. And the Medicaid planning involves shifting assets around into non-countable categories. So if you would be on private pay, for example and you're spending down to qualify for Medicaid, which some people think they have to do, with this power of attorney, you can move assets into non-countable categories so you qualify earlier, protecting your state, your legacy, so that your family would have some legacy uh, and you would have had an inheritance that you could leave and you would not have spent totally down and you paid into the system with Social Security and so forth for a long time. So it's a way to uh, get that Medicaid benefit, which you'd be entitled to. If you have any questions about that or any other legal questions in our remaining moments here, you have a toll-free number at 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open at 877-943-9673. Hey, suppose you're from a foreign country and you have assets in Florida and you happen to be listening to the show. What should you do for your estate plan? Well, we have a lot of clients in that category. They're from Canada or they're from Europe somewhere or they're, and they come to Florida and they buy a condo and maybe they have a bank account, one bank account here for convenience and some charge cards and so forth. And most of their assets might be in their home country. So they don't want to go through a probate system. You have a condo here in Florida and die, and it's in your name no matter where you live, it's going to go through probate. So a lot of our Canadian clients come down and tell me they have a condo here on the beach or wherever. So we do a trust just for that one property. And then that one property can avoid probate, and their family who lives in Canada doesn't have to come down here and deal with an attorney or a probate system uh, to go through. Now, we don't interfere if we did a will for them also with that trust. The will is just for assets in the U.S. So we don't try to do a will that would cover their assets in Europe 
or Canada, we do only a will or a trust document that just pertains to U.S. assets, so that's clearly stated right into the document. Um, so if you have questions about if you live in multiple countries, how to do asset state planning, you can... Now, if you, did a, if you didn't have a will in Canada or Europe and you did a will here in the U.S. and you spend time here, say you have a green card or something, and you died with an account somewhere in Canada or Europe or wherever, and the will that I did for you was your last will and only will, that will says all my real and personal property, so any assets that you have would still still be covered with that will. But if you have a document in the foreign country, and we talk about that, I don't have to revoke that will with your new last will here in the U.S. I can have it just pertain to the U.S. assets. Suppose you have minor children. By the way, we have uh, 19 minutes left in the show. If you want to call the show, you have a toll-free number. You're listening to a live show on this July 6th, 2020. I'm attorney Joe Pippen filling in for Bill Bunkley today. And we have another hour coming up with a special interview at 5 o'clock. So you have about 18 minutes to ask questions. And then after that, we probably won't be doing a live question. We'll be doing the interview. You'll be able to call in and ask questions maybe concerning the interview, but it won't be wide open like it is right now for any legal question. 877 is the toll-free number, 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. So the question is if you have minor children. Well, guess what? You can't leave. If you have, if you don't do any planning, that means you would have failed to name a guardian who's going to raise the children. You would have failed to uh, do other planning like when they get the estate, when they get their assets, um, you would have failed to do a lot of things. And they can't even receive assets, so they're 18. So then the court gets involved with the management in, of the assets, who, who's managing the assets, who's going to be the guardian, who's going to be lots of things. And you can easily uh, plan where your children are going to live, who's going to care for them, who's going to take care of them, how the money is going to be used. You can spell all that out in a document, which you should really do on estate planning. So if you have minor children, it would be a shame not to do planning as to who's going to raise them and how the money is going to be spent and what age they get it. And suppose on top of all that, you have a special needs child. Well, the special needs child could be on government benefits. And those government benefits could be taken away if you leave the child anything. And then they burn through all the money that you left behind them, and then they have to go back on benefits after that money's gone. And some of them might be in a facility where they might have to leave the facility because they no longer qualify for benefits, and then they might not be able to get back in that facility when the time comes. So it's just a shame if you have a special needs child of any type to uh, not do adequate planning to protect their benefits, to protect where they are being taken care of and where and make them not have to move and lose those government benefits. Lots of things in the state planning like that to consider. I have some special needs child children that uh, with parents that documents, and they're actually able to understand a legal document and come in and sign that, giving their parents the power of attorney. 
So a special needs child is not always a special needs child that's not competent to sign a legal document. In fact, some of them are. So it would be better for that child who has a, a basic understanding of a will or a power of attorney to be able to sign that document to make their parent's job just, just a little bit easier. If you have a legal question, now we're down to 15 minutes. I'll be more than glad to talk to you, and all you have to do is to call in. You have a toll-free number, which is 877 877- Nine four three nine six seven three eight seven seven nine four three nine six seven three. Phone lines are open. So I had a call today from a client too uh, about an elderly mother. So the elderly mother was from another state, and she had a power of attorney. The power of attorney had uh, like one witness on the document, and. When the person got here in the U.S., they found out that this one, this document wasn't accepted. I think it wasn't accepted by the Division of Motor Vehicles because it only had one witness. So now what does she do? Well, she has an elderly mother who, I said, can she come to the office to sign a new document? And the daughter says, no, she's not able to walk. Uh, so I said, well, is she able to, can you get her in the car? Do you take her places? And they said, yes. So actually, the way this one worked out is that the mother is going to be coming over to my office uh, on Wednesday in the car. I'll have a new power of attorney prepared, and I'll simply walk out to the car where she can't leave the car and get her uh, to sign the document. I'll have a witness behind a glass door inside the office building looking out. On the power of attorney, I can be a witness and the notary. Now, that's not true on wills. You have to have two witnesses and a notary. So I'd have, if there was a will, I'd have to have two people watching and then notarize. There's just a, there's a way to get legal documents done for people who think that might be impossible now to get them done. Uh, in our office, we have, we have a way it works. In one of my offices, you, you call. You, most all of our first appointments are by phone now. So we kind of interview you on phone. Uh, get all the information I need to send out documents. And then you get them and be able to read them at home for a little bit. And then when you come to the office, you come in, you're directed to the uh, conference room. You'll go all the way down to the end of the conference room. And then I come in after. Everybody has mask on. Go over all the documents, explain everything. The witnesses are standing outside the door. And the witnesses uh, don't enter into the room, but they're watching you sign. And then they witness and give me the documents back. And then I notarize them and get them to make copies. And you're all, you got your documents all done. So some people have put this off for so long. They, uh, I don't know why people, well, I know why people put it off. There are three reasons that we've come up with. They, they don't like to deal with dying. They don't like to deal with parting with their assets. And the third one, the most, the hardest one for me to understand, is some people don't like dealing with attorneys. But there's no real reason to put off doing estate plan. Every sooner or later, you need to do it. And if you never do it, the state does it for you. And very few of you would, if I said, well, how many people would want the state of Florida to do your planning for you? Very few would raise your hand. So it's very, you're here with assets, you're here, you're entrusted with those assets to do the best thing for them, with them, and doing nothing with them would not be a good plan. 
So I think everyone here has assets. Everyone here should be uh, wanting to do what's best for their family and the best with the assets they've been entrusted with. So one of the things I like to do as an attorney is do the radio show, of course, but also like to go out and give talks in the community. Now, I know it's been pretty limited here lately. Uh, I know I am scheduled to speak in a church in August. So I hope that uh, comes about and now I can be able to go do that. Uh, and hope by August things will be a little bit better and maybe the spacing uh, requirements will be easier and more and more people will be doing things like that. But if you have a group where you need a speaker and you're all socially compliant, I have a meeting coming up uh, next week on Zoom. So the group says what well, we've turned their, all of our meetings to is just Zoom meetings. So we uh, get you scheduled, have a time scheduled. We send uh, all of our members of the club or group an email. They can all join in. You can give your presentation, answer legal questions from the Zoom group, and you can do all that online. Uh, so if you have a group where you need a speaker and would like to do it on Zoom or online or maybe even uh, schedule it for August or September, hoping on a live, being able to do a, a, in a physical appearance type of show, I'm, I'm all for that. I love doing that. can't wait till that opens up for me able to be able to do that again. If you'd like to contact us for that, you have an email address at joe, J-O-E, at A-T-T-Y, pip.com that's uh, joe at a-t-t-y pip.com if you uh, would like to email me concerning that with more information or just want to talk about it a little bit you can do that at joe j-o-e at a-t-t-y pip.com that's joe at a-t-t-y pip P.com. The toll-free number to call for that is 1-800-226-3529. That's uh, 1-800-226-3529. Go to extension 200. If you'd like to uh, check us out on our website, it's www.attypip.com. That's Joe at attypip.com. If you'd like to text me at 727-667-3967. That's um, 727-667-3967. And, any, and if you like the free estate planning poster sheet, any of those uh, methods of contact are sufficient for that. We'd love to mail that to you as well. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook, we have uh, my personal page. We have the Law Offices of Joseph Pippin page. We have the Ask an Attorney page. Uh, all of our contact information is on the website, www.attypip.com. That's uh, A-T-T-Y-P-I-P.com. All right, I'll give the number one more time to call the show. Uh, we have about eight minutes left. If you'd like to call the show for your question today, it's 877 is the toll-free number, 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. Phone lines are open. 
And um, we have an upcoming show interview with uh, John Mock, who wrote the book Jesus in the Courtroom. So we're going to talk about all the laws and discussions that Jesus had with uh, the Pharisees and uh, statements that he would make, uh, like the lady woman who committed adultery and was going to be stoned to death and what happened in that and what the laws were and why that changed and all kinds of interesting uh, points like that, uh, questions about adultery, divorce, in the Bible, in discussions with Pharisees, uh, all that will be discussed a little bit in the book Jesus in the Courtroom. How the laws, how what you can do about laws, uh, also is in the book. So, lots of discussion about those type of things in the upcoming in the next hour on a special interview edition of Ask an Attorney. All right, let's go to uh, Karen calling. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. I was just wondering, what do you charge? Um, my husband and I, our children are grown, and we do not have a will. He has kids, I have kids, um, and we need a will. What do you charge to, say, come in and, and, and All right, set well, that you up? can check out all of my fees on the website, but I'll, I'll tell you. But uh, the website okay. is just A-T-T-Y. P-I-P dot com. So we charge like 150 each for a will. Okay. Most clients who do wills do durable power of attorney slash health care surrogates. They're documents to, so you would be avoid being declared incompetent, basically, and someone to make health care decisions. Uh, yes. Most clients do a living will that says if you're terminal, vegetative, unconscious, end stage, you don't want to be artificially prolonged. Uh, you will be given information to have a choice between a will or a trust. Now, the difference, the questions I ask on whether in preparing those documents are the same, basically. It's the difference at the end of the day when you pass on, because your will would probably go through probate, and your trust would not. Okay. So a trust is just, a living trust is just a fancy will. You create it while you're living, you're the grantor, you're the... Okay. Trustee, when you die, the trust is living, so the assets are not in the name of a deceased person. Your children, if you have children, could be the successor trustees, and they could uh, pay your bills and finalize the taxes and distribute everything in the state, uh, a state out according to your wishes, with no probate very quickly and privately. You need okay. to know with wills, it's going to be a public record. There's a long drawn out process. It's a public record. Statutory recommended fees are three to six percent. Takes a year with a trust; it can be quick, no probate, private. And the difference between uh, what I just quoted on fees and trust is not that difference. If you added up those, uh, one fifty for a will times two, one fifty for durable power attorney, healthcare surrogate times two, and living wills is like uh, uh, seven fifty, and you get a trust package for. 895, which includes all of those documents plus the trust and the deed of your house being putting that into the trust. Have you heard of a trust before? Um, no, I guess I really didn't think so. I didn't know there was a difference really between a trust and a will. Yeah, no. well, the yeah, the difference is you die with a will, you die with assets just in your name. You die with a living trust, the assets are not in the name of deceased 
uh, person there in a okay. living trust, and the successor trustee can distribute them out without any court proceedings. And is it true that, like, so if you're married and your spouse dies, does everything go to the spouse, or everything has to be written down? Like, well, let me ask say, you this: Now, most husbands uh-huh. and wives own everything jointly. Well, we don't though. Like he has a truck that's in his name. Does he have a will that leaves everything to you? Nope. Well, vehicles a little bit different. I think the spouse would get the vehicle in that. Is it a first okay. marriage? Because there are there are lots of little questions. No, it's that... a, that's it. It's a second marriage, and he has two children. I have two children. Um, they're all grown children. With children, we have seven grandchildren. So, um. We have lots of people, yeah. Do y'all want everything to go to each other? Yes. Okay. So you need wills to do that. Otherwise, this, the uh, children would come into play for part of the estate by statute. Ah. So if you want okay. if you want each other to have everything, you definitely need wills that leave everything to one another. Other than that, you'd okay. be, uh, be arguing with the children about certain things. Not, not that there's an argument because there's a statute that controls it. Sure. Interesting. Yeah, that's good to know. Okay. All right. And you're calling from um, you're calling from where? Saint Petersburg. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Okay. If you have, you you have more much. questions, call me anytime. Thanks. Uh, okay. You're listening to Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law, filling in for Bill Bunkley on today's show. Bill will be back, I guess, next week. I didn't forgot to ask when he'll be back, but. If you'd like the free estate planning poster sheet, you can uh, contact my office. If you want, you can do that one of three ways. You can call our toll-free office number, again, which is 1-800-226-3529. That's for either an appointment or to request the free estate planning poster sheet, which clearly outlines all the differences between wills and trusts and some of the benefits and disadvantages of uh, the three options in estate planning. You can also text me at uh, or fax me at 727-585-4209. You can email me at joe, J-O-E, at A-T-T-Y-P-I-P dot com. You can uh, text me at 727-667-3967. And again, uh, host of Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law, which is every Saturday morning on 570, 910, 860, 930, and all the stations, and plus there are a bunch of other stations around Florida that carry the program. Uh, and it's a live show where people call in and ask legal questions, just like several of you did today. And I'd be more than glad to uh, answer your questions and get you pointed in the right direction. Also, you can follow us on uh, Facebook. We have uh, Ask an Attorney page and the Law Offices of Joseph Pippin page. We're also uh, broadcast every other week on WeBeam TV. The uh, Jesus in the Courtroom show will be broadcast uh, live on Facebook here in just a few minutes, starting at 5.06 or so. We'll look forward to that. I appreciate you listening and calling in with your questions and hope you join us soon for another edition of Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law. You be safe. Thanks.
Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump is demanding that schools must open this fall despite the coronavirus pandemic. Writing on Twitter in all caps, the president says schools must open in the fall. His comment comes as governors struggle with an increase in COVID-19 infections and as some states reverse or pause attempts to reopen. School systems nationwide are grappling with how to safely transport children to school and teach them in classroom settings. During the spring lockdown, many of the country's schools switched to online instruction. Greg Clugston, Washington. The Supreme Court has ruled unanimously that states can require presidential electors to back their state's popular vote winner in the Electoral College. The ruling just under four months before the 2020 election leaves in place laws in 32 states and the District of Columbia that bind electors to vote for the popular vote winner, which happens in most cases anyway. The issue arose in lawsuits filed by three Hillary Clinton electors in Washington state and one in Colorado who refused to vote for her despite her popular vote win in both states. In doing so, they hoped to persuade enough electors in states won by Donald Trump to choose someone else and deny Trump the presidency. Shelley Adler, Washington. Country music firebrand and fiddler Charlie Daniels, who had a hit with Devil Went Down to Georgia, has died at the age of 83. A statement from his publicist said the Country Music Hall of Famer died Monday due to a stroke. Daniels, a singer, guitarist, and fiddler, started out as a session musician, even playing on Bob Dylan's Nashville Skyline Sessions. He followed with his own hits like Uneasy Rider. In later years, he mellowed and performed at Billy Graham's crusades throughout the country. On Wall Street, the Dow by 459 points. The Nasdaq rose 226. The S&P advanced 49. Oil down to 40.63 a barrel. This is SRN News. As the will of the students goes, so goes the will of the nation. This is a central theme of the new movie, Return to the Hiding Place, the film about Corrie Ten Boom and her secret army of teenagers' heroic efforts to hide and save Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Corrie's story was made famous by her book and original movie produced by the Billy Graham Association. Now, 45 years later, comes Return to the Hiding Place, the untold behind-the-scenes true story of Corrie's secret army of student teenagers' efforts to rescue Jewish people. Told by Hans Poli, one of Corey's teens in the resistance, Return to the Hiding Place is an action-packed film of the Dutch underground's true breathtaking rescue of an entire orphanage of Jewish children. Return to the Hiding Place, starring John Rhys-Davies. Watch this captivating movie tonight with your older children at SalemNow.com and save 20% with the promo code MOVIE. Return to the Hiding Place at SalemNow.com, promo code MOVIE. Due to historical content, might not be suitable for young A leading evangelical is telling Christians that the culture wars will be coming to their neighborhood soon. Virtually every community, every family in some extended sense, and every congregation is going to have to deal with the questions about a same-sex wedding taking place in the community or some kind of similar ceremony. And Dr. Albert Moeller has a warning. The society around us is in the process of a giant comprehensive reset And if we are not careful, we're going to be reset right along with the culture. He says more at albertmuller.com. A privately owned Confederate statue at a Maryland church has been toppled and vandalized. The Capitol Gazette reports photos provided by Anne Arundel County Police show that the statue at Mount Calvary Anglican Church in Lothian was ripped off its concrete platform. 
The word racist was written in red spray paint on the statue of Private Benjamin Welch Owens, who served in a Confederate Maryland artillery unit during the Civil War. This is SRN News. Israel has a new spy satellite in place. The latest from the media lines, Lawrence Rifkin. Israel on Monday successfully launched its seventh spy satellite, which analysts believe will add to the country's ability to keep close tabs on hostile neighbors, especially Iran. Interestingly, the launch came just days after a U.S. regulatory agency relaxed restrictions on commercial satellite imagery firms, such as those that provide material to Google Maps. Since 1997, they had to blur items on the ground in security-conscious Israel, measuring under six and a half feet in width. Foreign companies were under no such restrictions, so it appears that market forces won out. Israeli officials say they were not warned about the change in policy. I'm Lawrence Rifkin, SRN News, Jerusalem. More details at themedialine.org and srnnews.com. I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Listen to your favorite Christian programs anytime on the OnePlace app. Download and listen offline. Stream to your car or automated home device. Download OnePlace at Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Ask an attorney about Florida law. Ask an attorney. Just give him a call. This is Ask an Attorney. All about Florida law with attorney Joe Pippen. If you have a legal question, call Joe right now in Tampa. Call 813-287-5700. Anywhere else, toll free at 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. The law office is open. And now your host, Joe Pippen. Hey, good afternoon. I'm attorney Joe Pippen filling in for Bill Bunkley today on the Drive Time Show. Um, Normally you would hear me on Saturday morning with my show Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law. Uh, Hosted that show for 36 years now and running. And glad to be filling in for Bill today. I wanted to uh, really be here today because I have read a book recently that I uh, asked to receive because I was interested in it. It's called Jesus in the Courtroom. And we have the author of that book, John Mock is uh, with us. And John, are you there? I am. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Drive Time Show. Uh, thank you so much. John is a senior partner at uh, Malk & Baker, LLC, is a board member of the Christian Legal Society. I've been a member of that for a long time myself. In fact, I was the president of the group here in the Tampa St. Pete area for a while. Uh, John also currently serves on the Adli- – he's a, currently an allied attorney with the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom group. In 2001, he wrote the book Paul on Trial. I liked his Jesus in the courtroom so much, I just ordered that, which uh, is no longer in print, so I got an old copy, John. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, I'm coming out with a new edition uh, probably in about a year, so... All right, in your read book, it, read it, read it now, and then we'll get you up to date with another copy. They, they, the copy I bought said it was in fairly good condition, so I'm definitely going to oh, oh. get you to give me a new one here. No, it's 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 not condition. It's the fact is that God's bringing out more and more uh, information continually about the reliability of Scripture, and scholars are discovering this stuff and and seeing it uh, for the first time. I mean, that's a, a lot. That was in Jesus in the courtroom, uh, a new role of Jesus, and uh, 
uh, it, it's exciting. You'd, you'd think that after all these years of studying Scripture, uh, that theology would be at a dead end, but it's not. There's exciting new things uh, coming out in the Word, in science, in biology, all over the place. Well, John, I like. Uh, I think you. This is a quote from you, saying that being uh, an attorney is all about serving God, or it's about serving God, and that's that's what our role is. And you know, um, I definitely do that every week. I try to let the light shine through me, and people will learn that about me without me saying it so much. Uh, and I think if they learn it about me without me saying it, it's much better than me trying to convince them that I am <laughs> serving God. So uh, so I admire that quote that you have there uh, in your book. So let me see. Why did you write this book, John? What was the main purpose? Well, I began to get new insights into Jesus as a lawyer, and I was, I was scratching my head as I got these insights and said, well, I know Jesus is a Savior. I know he's Lord. I know he's a healer, um, even a wonderful counselor. But it would, would it be right to call him a lawyer? You know, I think pretty well of lawyers, but our society doesn't always, or at least people don't like other lawyers. Everybody loves their own lawyer, you know, but uh, the rest of the lawyers are are bums. And so I was wondering, gee, could I think of Jesus as a lawyer, and as, as the scriptures began to unfold and I talked to people, I, I realized that he was. And the more I uh, tr- tried to confirm this, the more I, I fo- found out that, yes, he was, and the people didn't realize it. So many of us have heard the sermon or been to the Bible study where we are told Jesus interacted with the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And yes, he interacted with them all the time. That's clear. But that wasn't there that he was the religious leaders. He were, these were religious men, but the religious leaders of Jesus' day were the high priests and the Levites and the temple, the temple authorities. Uh, because we have in this country separation of church and state, we didn't realize that these religious men, these Pharisees and Sadducees, were in effect the legal establishment of the day. And the more that became clear to me that the scriptures opened up, they, they were called teachers of the law. Jesus was called a rabbi. Well, you know, I've known rabbis, and we got a lot of rabbis here in Evanston, Illinois, and around Chicago, and they lead synagogues. But Jesus wasn't that kind of rabbi. Words change. When he was called a rabbi, it meant teacher. And not just teacher, but teacher of the Torah, teacher of the law. And the Torah wasn't this uh, sort of like religious book as it is now to us, it was the constitution of Israel. It was how do we live? What is our laws? And as I began to uh, reconceptualize some of these concepts that were taught in church, uh, as they were taught and written originally at Jesus' time and, and when the scriptures were written, including the Torah, 
I got a, I got a new viewpoint. I said, you know, I've, I've got to share this and help others see and help myself see how involved Jesus wants to be, how he was, and because he's the risen Savior and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he wants to impact our legal system today, impact lawyers, and uh, impact our society, and boy, do we need it now. So uh, as I began to realize this, I said, I've got I've to uh, put this in a book and uh, and and actually, and I think your reader, your listeners might enjoy this. I, I almost said uh, uh, readers, Joe. I hope they become readers, but uh, your listeners. Um, I had this revelation, and I'd done this research, and so I decided to check with a pastor named Erwin Lutzer, who was a senior pastor for many years at the Moody Bible Church in Chicago and respected scholar. He's probably written about 30 books and, you know, quite a guy. And I happened to be seated at him, uh, next to him at a banquet. And I said, Pastor Lutzer, what do you think of this idea that I've been having? I can't get it out of my head that Jesus was a lawyer and that he interacted with the legal establishment of his day and that we've been misleading people by saying, he interacted with the religious leaders of his day because it has a lot of implications. And he thought about it for a couple minutes, and he said, John, you need to write a book. And so I decided, well, I'm going to write a book, but I put all my notes on the back of my credenza. I don't know if you do that as a lawyer, but we got a lot of storage space around for stuff that we want to do we can't get to. For about two years, And then I got a call from an acquisitions editor at the Moody Publishing Company who said, do you want to write a book about Jesus and lawyers? And I said, well, sure. I kind of already have it written. Uh, What else did Pastor Lutzer tell you? And the acquisition editor, Dwayne, said, well, I didn't talk to him. So then I knew it was the Lord that I'd gotten a green light. Uh, a lot of people had confirmed it, and then he called me out of the blue. And so that's why I wrote it. All of those things put together um, kind of led me to say uh, the body needs to know this. The body needs to understand how to connect to Jesus as lawgiver, law interpreter, law enforcer, law teacher. You know, when I was uh, telling my wife about this book and the, what I would be doing today in interviewing you, she says, well, Jesus never was in the courtroom, and what Jesus taught mainly was love, not law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, hey, you got a wonderful wife. Um, she's uh, right on the second point, and uh, I'm laughing because lawyers can be all about love. And I know you are, Joe. Um, any lawyer who's following Jesus is going to be all about love. We don't, and, and love can be tough love. Uh, love can be tender love. Yeah. So I was uh, going to ask you, what's your definition of courtroom in this title of this book? <laughs> well, you know, when they brought the woman caught in adultery to him, and said, uh, uh, "What do you say, Jesus? Uh, should we stone her?" That was pretty much all the courtroom she was going to get. That was 
that that was it. And and so. What well, was the law back then? She would to be stoned. The the law was stoned to death. Yeah. Right. Okay. Adultery. And so. Uh, and so th- there it was. Well, it wasn't uh, I was? Uh, I don't know if this was in your book. It probably was that Jesus pretty much disqualified the witnesses on that story. Uh, yeah, he did disqualify them. Uh, he um, he gave them conviction because he said, "You say she should be stoned. Let you who are without sin cast the first stone." And yes, it was a disqualification of them as witnesses because they were they were guilty. And uh, well, there's there's a lot to be said about that. But but the but the bigger point was Jesus defended her, and uh, then told her she could go go free and don't sin no more. But he also uh, defended his disciples when they were uh, picking grain on the Sabbath and the teachers of the law, the law professors came to him and said, Rabbi, that is fellow law professor, Jesus, your, your disciples, your students, your law students, because that's what they were students of the law. Your law students are breaking the law. They're, they're, eating grain, picking grain on the Sabbath. And he explained the law to them, and he defended, as a lawyer, his students. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he helped them. Uh, we, we had this course in law school, Joe, you and I, called Conflict of Law. And that's something that uh, every, every law student has to take because we have to sort out when laws contradict each other. The laws of the state of Illinois aren't the same as the laws of Florida. The federal laws can be different from the city ordinances. And how do you sort those out? How do they take priority? How do you interpret them together? Uh, these are all legitimate human endeavors. And this is what Jesus did. Uh, he helped explain the priority with the Torah conflicted with people's conduct, and uh, were they to be punished? Were they to be punished for breaking the Sabbath? Or was the Sabbath there to protect them and give them rest? And and um, if it was made for man and man wasn't made for the Sabbath, then Jesus was right. So he interpreted the law and he protected his uh, disciples, and he was acting as a defense lawyer as well as a law professor. <coughs> so, John, let me ask you: How many times? You know, you go, you do a lot of court work, right? I do. So, how many times would you say you're in? What percentage of the attorneys would you? I know you're not their judge and can't really determine, but what percentage of the time do you think you're working uh, against an attorney that's not a Christian or maybe a judge that's not in a Christian? And what do these, how do you, <laughs> how, what, uh, how does that interplay in your uh, effectiveness in the court? Yeah, well, sure. It, it's a great question. and It's a tough question. Um, I, I, I think you brothers from the South, uh, those that I've met in the Christian Legal Society, 
often say, well, everybody's a Christian around here. And I say, praise God. But when you get in the, the, the city of Chicago, having another Christian um, for a judge or, or your opponent is the exception rather than the rule. Uh, you run into some good ones. Uh, but there, there are many who are nominal and uh, Christians, and there are many who are, are not at all, and they have a different worldview and a different value system. So you have to take that into consideration when you argue with them or you try to negotiate, and uh, certainly it's an opportunity to evangelize. But it, it takes practice. You can... Uh, you, you can put someone off, um, but you have to listen and try and help them clarify their value system. And often we have a shared value system, that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, or that uh, these certain facts and events happened, and we can agree on that if, if they're committed to honesty. Um, Sadly, uh, more and more people, including lawyers, uh, aren't committed to honesty. They're committed to what will uh, win their case, and then that's 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 tougher. Hey, let's talk about some of the great attorneys um, that are, are Christian that they're mentioned in the Bible. So let's start with Moses. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a great lawgiver. Amen. And, and that's uh, uh, the first five books of the scripture are called the Torah. Uh, he's the author. He didn't write every single word, but they're the teachings and the words. Uh, he sat with God, and according to Moses, he talked to God face-to-face -face as one man speaks to another and would meet with him in the tent of meeting. And so he got the law from God by revelation at those meetings. Uh, when he went up on the mountain, um, the Ten Commandments, and uh, uh, as he practiced law, uh, he decided the tough cases, and you remember that uh, beautiful uh, passage where Moses is exhausted by being a judge because everybody's uh, bringing their disputes to him. And his father-in-law, Jethro, says, hey, you're going to burn out, Moses. Uh, you better uh, find uh, circuit judges to handle this uh, and, and divide the tribes up. Uh, by families and clans and tens and hundreds and so forth. And you just take the tough cases and uh, let them handle the rest. And so he was a lawgiver, but he experienced how to apply it. And then he put it together in terms of a code, uh, but not an exhaustive code, as I'm sure you've come to realize uh, that, the, the Torah didn't cover every situation that the Jews would encounter, just like our laws often don't cover everything. But they show forth the character of God 
and they show a principle of righteousness and truth and love that would allow subsequent applications of the law. Um, And so Moses is known as the lawgiver, uh, not just the Ten Commandments, but uh, uh, all of Torah. Let's talk about Paul as the attorney. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Paul was a law student. I said I was a student of Rabbi Gamaliel. So Paul came from uh, his hometown in Tarsus, uh, probably a well-off family that could afford to send him to the Yale Law School, uh, which was the top uh, a place for Torah students uh, with the top, because you go to Jerusalem, that's the headquarters, so that's going to be the best school. And Rabbi Gamaliel uh, is recognized outside of Scripture uh, in uh, other Jewish history uh, annals as as one of the great uh, teachers. So uh, as we see Paul saying that he studied under Gamaliel, uh, he's flashing his credentials. And he's saying, I went to the top law school and I, I practiced the righteousness that was taught by following the law. And it was the law, beautiful law, wonderful law, that showed me God. And it also shined a light into my heart and showed me I was a sinner. And, of course, a guy who was as righteous as Paul, you know, a fervent, uh, so... Uh, so committed to Torah that uh, he even helped out when they stoned Stephen um, because uh, he thought he was blaspheming and uh, should have the full measure of uh, retribution and be stoned. And so he, here he is, this uh, righteous, self-righteous law student, and he's being taught by the law, uh, and then the law shows him that he's guilty. You're the one. The fingers pointed right back at him because he, he read part of what Moses had wrote. Right. So That is, do not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And when he said that I read that, I became utterly covetous. I realized that there was something at war within me that was telling me that I was sinful and I wanted to sin. I enjoyed coveting. I did it and the more I tried not to do it, the more covetous I became. Oh, woe is me. Who will rescue me from this sin that I'm in? And then he says, he turns to praise. He said, hallelujah, thanks be to God for Messiah Jesus who came and paid the penalty for my sin. And so Lawyer Paul became Lawyer Evangelist Paul. The law, which functioned in his day, brought him to know Jesus. And I think that's that's so important. And why I wrote Jesus in the courtroom, Joe, is that we need to recapture 
as a society, not just as Christian lawyers, but as as Christian pastors, as uh, believers and followers of Jesus everywhere, the value of good law in bringing people to know Jesus. As I hear you talk about that, it seems like uh, Paul might have been your role model. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or something to aspire to anyway. Well, uh, yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I had a mentor, uh, Jan Moskowitz from Jews for Jesus, uh, who came into my office one day. He taught our Bible study. We've had a Bible study at our office for about 40 years, once a week. And he used to teach it. And he, he came in the day of the class, and he, before the class started, and he sat at my desk and said, John, you need to pray for me. I'm, I'm the worst sinner. And, of course, I know Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And uh, I said, Jan, uh, no, I'm a worse sinner than you are. And that's what you say to a friend, right? You want to comfort him and he's feeling down and he's defeated or whatever. And uh, he, in his sly way, Moskowitz, turns to me and he says, well, that may well be, John. He just cut me off and it went out a little for <laughs> Um, so I don't know if I was the chief of sinners, uh, or Paul is. Uh, Paul claims the title. But the truth is that we're all sinful. Uh, Jeremiah tells us the heart is wicked, desperately wicked, uh, and sinful above all else. Who can who can know it? How can, how, how can we understand how, how we go through life and 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 structure our words and our thinking and how we appear to others in our own selfish ways rather than in looking for God, how would you want to do this? So I guess I would say, yes, Paul was an inspiration, and uh, uh, he he should be. Um, All right, let's talk about uh, Luke, the doctor who, as you describe him, turned into a legal brief writer. Well, uh, I'm just trying to prove I read the book there, uh, John. So, <laughs> uh, Luke, and, uh, and and this is cool. I hadn't thought of this before, but I gave you the parallel of, of seeing Jesus as a great physician, uh, which within the body of Messiah, uh, the American Church, anyway, I think worldwide. Uh, there's been a, a great recognition in the last uh, century of the healing ministry of Jesus and, and the laying on of hands and um, many of the, of the gifts of healing. And uh, now we're seeing the revelation of Jesus as lawyer, law professor, teacher of the law, uh rabbi and uh, in a way there's a parallel with luke because everybody knows him as as luke the physician Uh, and that's how paul refers to him in one of his 
his letters. And so his his occupation uh, before he joined Paul on the missionary field was certainly as a doctor. And a lot of scholars have commented on his descriptions of Jesus' healing and, and, and his insight into the various conditions of people that came to Jesus because he was a physician. So he's a physician, but we know he also wrote the book of Luke, and we know of a certainty, and I say this is absolute uh, uh, scholarly consensus, that he wrote the book of Acts, and the book of Luke and the book of Acts are one book, Luke hyphen Acts, uh, both authored by Luke, and I believe written in defense of Paul, uh, the book of Acts begins uh, with an address, and the book of Luke begins with an address to a high-ranking Roman official because he's called most excellent Theophilus. And most excellent is a title that was reserved for Roman officials of a high rank. Uh, in, in English, we have a counterpart. We say somebody is your honor. Well, we know right away that that person is either a judge or a mayor. We don't call senators your honor, and uh, we don't call postmen your honor. Or uh, um, it's it's an English usage word, and in in the Roman times, and it's a Greek term. And Greek was the language of the law there, and language that the Luke and Acts is written in. Most excellent meant a high-ranking official. So you have a book written to a high-ranking Roman official. And you have Paul in jail, and the book ends with him awaiting trial. And it leads to a very obvious question. Is the fact that it's written to a high-ranking official and the fact that it ends with him awaiting trial have anything to do with why it was written? And, of course, it was written on the occasion of Paul being in trial and awaiting trial. And uh, my book, Paul on Trial, the one that's just ordered, is uh, uh, recounting all of the evidence that we see internally in the book uh, that it was a legal defense of Paul against two primary Roman charges. We don't have all of the charges uh, set out as we would have uh, in a uh, complaint and answer in our modern courtroom, uh, we just have Paul's defense. But when when Luke is defending Paul, uh, the answers that he gives uh, tell us the charges that were made. And essentially the charges that were made was he's inciting rebellion. He's inciting riots. He's, he's one of these... Uh, uh, guys who's going around from city to city stirring up crowds. And you see Luke systemically, city by city, rebutting the charges and showing that Paul preached the gospel, but there are other people who started the riots. And then the second major charge, and, and American Christians wouldn't begin to see this without some scholarship behind it, 
Rome did not allow new religions. Rome had a monopoly on religions because it was political control over the people, and they allowed but two religions. One was emperor worship, and that was just sort of a broad umbrella, like uh, you could compare modern Hinduism with lots of gods. Whenever Rome would conquer a city or, or, or a nation, they'd say, okay, look, you guys, uh, you can have your gods and your idols. You can set them up in our temple, but the emperor is the highest god, and you have to offer a pinch of salt at the emperor's statue, and all your gods are subservient to our gods. How do we know this? Well, we whipped you. You know that war? We won the war. That means our God is stronger than yours. That's how the ancients think, thought, a lot of them. And and so they had these gods, and they allowed Judaism as the only exception because the Jews uh, fought hard. Uh, they fought the Greeks when the, uh, before the Roman Empire conquered the Greeks, um, and they refused to worship idols, and they died ra- rather than fight. So the, the Romans had a uh, had an exception for them. They say you can pay a Jewish tax. You don't have to serve in the army, uh, and you don't have to worship the emperor, um, but you do need to obey our laws. So there were only two religions allowed. And when you had uh, Paul and Luke and and really Jesus coming around and saying, uh, I am the Messiah, the question was, is this starting a new religion? And that was what uh, the second charge against Paul is you're breaking Roman law by starting a new religion. Well, they also charged um, Jesus with that, actually. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right, let me let me, we got let me get to a couple of just more topics here to uh sure. All right, so in your book, and by the way, during this uh question I'm going to have them put up your book information of how they can purchase your book. Uh we've got that on our screen here. We're we're uh we beaming TV this show today and um try to get you a copy of that, but we are going to put on uh a picture of your book and how they can get that uh different ways they can order the book. But in your book, you list uh, some famous uh, attorneys of faith. So where would you rank uh, – there's a list here, but where would you rank uh, Abraham Lincoln in the greatest attorneys of faith? <laughs> I love Lincoln. The more I read Lincoln, the uh, uh, the more I, I love him. I've been reading uh, – I just finished a book called Farnsworth Classical – English style. I have it in my hands here. Uh, Farnsworth is a dean uh, at the University of Texas Law School, and he's talking about legal writing and great writing and great speakers, and he lists uh, King James Bible, Shakespeare, Lincoln, and Churchill are probably the top four that he's constantly citing uh, throughout his book. Um, Lincoln was deeply versed in the King James Bible and in Scripture and uh, profoundly in, in, 
influenced how he taught and how he wrote and how he preached. And I'm sure how he practiced law. And I, I don't know that there's any shortcut for saying, well, read the Bible and you'll be a great lawyer. Immerse yourself. Love the Bible. That's why I mentioned that we had these Bible studies for like 40 years uh, every Friday. Uh, you can't, some things you can't do overnight. Uh, and you have to love it. And then you get into it, and it makes uh, great things happen, as in the life of Lincoln. He was able to inspire the nation with his uh, with his speeches, the Gettysburg Address and the, uh, yeah. the Second Inaugural. Um, and, and uh, John, you, we you, also have your uh, your web address or the website, uh, jesusinthecourtroom.com. They can order your book as well. There was one. There was one attorney in your list that I was not familiar with, to be honest, and that was um, Hyman Appleman, who mm-hmm. had, who inspired Billy Graham. I mean, that's <laughs> that'd, <laughs> yeah. be, that'd be quite an achievement, I would think. Uh, well, I, I I like Hyman uh, because I have a fascination, first of all, with uh, with the Jews who become followers of Jesus. And that was Hyman Appleman um, around in the 1920s. Uh, he went to an evangelistic meeting, I believe, and, and uh, heard the gospel. But he was a Chicago lawyer, and I love Chicago lawyers. Um, and uh, as a Chicago lawyer, and then he became a believer, and he was pretty much exiled from his family he had to leave family and friends and uh, became an itinerant evangelist and then he got to be better and better I guess I never uh, heard him speak Uh, but Billy Graham uh, attributes the preaching of of, uh, Hyman Appleman uh, and he, he preached throughout the South um, to his own style and and learned from that. So that's a huge credential. He's, yeah. he's not know, well known, but uh, I thought, well, I'll throw him in because he's from Chicago and he's a lawyer and, and I love Jewish believers. And so, you know, I always think of this story I'm about to tell you about Billy Graham. So Billy Graham was being interviewed on uh, by Larry King one night. And I, I was watching, and Larry King, in his own way, said, "Well, well, Billy, what do you think? Uh, what the big guy up there is going to say to you when you get there?" And Billy Graham said, "He's going to say I didn't do enough." <laughs> and that, that was always amazing to me that anybody like Billy Graham could say he didn't do enough. I mean, just you know, how much, how much more could he have done? And it just makes you wonder if, you know, if I've done enough and if you've done enough. And if that's how what Billy Graham thinks, why shouldn't I think the same thing, but on a much larger scale? Well, I, that, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, that's why God extended his life to 100 years, if you count the moment of his conception as the beginning of his life, which it was. Uh, Billy Graham 
lived a hundred years, and uh, maybe God overheard that comment and, and said, "Well, I got a couple more books for you to write." Yeah. Uh, Graham wrote some really great books towards the end of his life, and uh, God said, "I'll let you. I'll let you fill out the slate." You know, in your book, I want to get to some more current events here. Uh, in the, your book, you address the issue of abortion and how it has shaped your legal career. And what are some of the current efforts uh, in your fight for life? Well, I think I think the main one, Joe, and, and not in my fight, just my fight, but um, there's so many brothers and sisters who are engaged in this in this battle is the recognition that the unborn child is a person. You may not know it, and, and our listeners may not know it, but in, in Roe versus Wade, the majority opinion said, we don't know when life begins. The Catholics say one thing, and the Buddhists say another thing, and American Indians say this, and the Protestants are divided and say that. So we don't know when life begins. If we did, it might make all the difference. Well, uh, that was back when Roe versus Wade was decided. But since then, medical science has advanced, genetics has advanced, and we know of a certainty that at the moment of conception, when the egg is fertilized by the sperm, the human being is made. The gender is determined. The intelligence is determined. The hair color. Uh, so many things can later on be uh, influenced environmentally, two months in the womb or when the child is 10 years old and so forth. But that person exists then at the moment of conception so that's a human life a lot of the debate goes back and forth on a woman's rights but there's nobody out there sufficiently defending and i believe the courts uh, haven't done their job and the, and the legislatures have been trying but the issue is we're talking about a human life here and yes, it may be inconvenient uh, and painful for a woman to carry that child uh, to term and and not murder her own child, but it can be very painful for many, particularly young women who don't know what the consequences are, uh, a lifetime scar to know that they've killed their child, and the child, of course, is is dead. So I think I think the struggle is about that fundamental issue and the courts can articulate that because it's truth and it's 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 science and then people have to wrestle with the consequence of not um, recognizing it's a human life or the fact that we're condoning murder and that uh, that's a hard word, but I think it's it's the truth, and it, uh, more and more people have been recognizing that. Uh, but the courts aren't going to solve the whole thing. Uh, 
it has to be a culture of affirming life, not just um, uh, preventing people from killing their children. Um, how do you think people listening to the show and readers of your book can participate uh, in the law or in the legal profession or help assisting and aiding attorneys to uh, to change things in the law? Oh, yeah, Concerned. a wonderful question because I, I think a lot of, of, of believers think, well, uh, I'm going to just send some money into the Alliance Defending Freedom or uh, – Liberty Institute, and uh, yeah, those are all good things, but I hope we can have much more of a military metaphor understanding. When we send soldiers out to fight a, a guns and bullets war, uh, we shouldn't send them out alone. It should be the effort of an entire nation, and the entire body of Messiah needs to be engaged. And, and I do think uh, that educating ourselves about the legal aspects of Jesus' ministry is a good place to start, but then we need to go on and say, well, do I want to send my grandchildren to law school? Do I want to stop funding law schools and colleges that are teaching our children lies and are teaching that uh, abortion is good? I mean, the battle can be waged all over the place. Uh, I, I list in the book a whole number of Christian organizations that are like the Christian Legal Society that are carrying the battle forth. And I ask the reader, just pick out one. You don't need to support all 12. But pick out one, subscribe to their newsletter online. Uh, just pray for one. Do your part. Ask the Spirit, Lord, should I help this group or that group? And see which one interests you. Uh, and, and then support them. Uh, talk to members in your congregation who are lawyers. And then there's a whole list of other professions that impact or are impacted by the law. And they need to realize that just because I'm not a lawyer doesn't mean I don't administer the law in some regard. And that would include uh, uh, teachers, uh, bankers, uh, physicians, um, I try to lay out in Jesus in the courtroom all the different aspects of social workers uh, that we have uh, where we're influencing the law or we're enforcing the law or we're part of the law, and that Jesus wants to touch us and help us in these areas. Christians uh, are kind of divorced in their thinking. They think, well, there's the Bible over on one side and over on the other side uh, are the laws that I have to administer as a school principal. No, no, no. They're integral, and they can be uh, integrated because God wants them integrated. And the uh, book of Romans, uh, chapter 13, tells us to submit to the law 
but I think Christians misread that too. They think that yeah, I guess there's a thought by uh, some that isn't it God's job to do justice and not ours, and why should we seek justice on earth when you got God working on it? <laughs> well, that's a cop out. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, um, God shows us justice. And what does it require of you? But to love justice, uh, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And we need to do those things. Uh, and uh, put the emphasis on love, like your wife said, Joe. Yeah, love. Love with all our heart. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind, uh, with all your assets, with everything that you are. It's a strong strong word for any lawyer and any believer and if we if we can absorb that and let that flow out of us uh we can all work together we can't say it's all on god he can do it or i don't have a law license it's all it's all on brother joe yeah what he's a lawyer john what's your uh What's your thought now? What's going on in our society with protest and destruction and um, that whole scene going on in, in in our world right now? You in the world and the U.S. basically. How, how do you? Yeah, what, it's because I, I think there's a fundamental worldview conflict that uh, people think that if if they can make up the law, they can make up morality. And uh, if we change this law or that law, then we can change the morals. Yeah, uh, and, and also destroy history at the same time. Sure, yeah. You know, and when you ask about abortion, it goes right back to that. The Supreme Court's decision in Roe versus Wade uh, was to make up the law. There wasn't any accountability to God. They, they, and and uh, I, I think it was Byron White who said the uh, – in dissent in Roe versus Wade, he said this is an exercise of raw judicial power. If there is no God, then the Nuremberg trials were wrong. How, how dare we condemn the Nazis for killing the Jews? They were obeying orders. They were following the law. And today's uh, people who want to make up their own laws and say this is right, uh, they may be right sometimes, but they have to be under God. If they're not under God, they'll find out that they're making things horribly wrong. Uh, Nuremberg, I think, was rightly decided in the sense that there are offenses against humanity but if we don't realize that unborn children are humanity, uh, we're guilty of offenses against humanity, and we should be brought to justice under that kind of uh, Nuremberg standard. So, and basically, the law is not going to solve the problem. The law can help people see what's just and unjust, but we need to evangelize. We need to get people saved. We need to get people discipled and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be a continual 
challenge as it was for uh, those who've gone before us and those who are after us. That, so that's what, our battle. Which laws are doing harm by restricting religious freedom today and should be appealed? Yeah, I, I think uh, ones that don't afford the freedom of speech or religious assembly on the same basis that they allow non-religious assemblies. Uh, this is going to the Constitution, but I think the Constitution in this case is is rightly based on the Scripture where you say you, you, you have justice. Uh, a number of lawsuits now where, where states have shut down religious gatherings, but they've allowed protest marches of 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 people to gather. And uh, they, even some of the excuses were, well, this is necessary for the mental health of people who are demanding justice in these marches. Well, you know, God bless them. Go demand justice if that's really what you're wanting to do and not, and not cause trouble. But don't say that you've got that right but people can't only gather uh, groups of 50 to worship. Uh, that's wrong. And, and those are the kind of things that are being fought right now. And I, I think it hopefully will, will come out uh, uh, to the point where we're treated uh, equally in our, in our faith communities. But maybe not. I mean, there are... There are people who don't believe there's God, and there are plenty of judges out there who think they can make up the law, just like there are plenty of legislatures, mostly on the uh, left-wing end of the political spectrum, who could say, we're making it a law, and it's right because we say it's right. And that's, uh, that's, that's the fundamental problem, and that's, that's where we have to awaken people to say God has set a standard and we must compare all of our secular laws, even our Constitution, to God's concept and teaching on justice and, and, uh, and the value of humanity that were created in the likeness and image of God, and therefore every person is precious. Hey, John, we have about a minute left in the show. Would you uh, end our show with a prayer, please? And thank well, you, sure. and thank you so much for being on the program. We're going to put your book well, information thanks, thanks up. Thanks for having me, and uh, and God bless you. God Joel, bless and, you. So we have. And a, God bless the Christian Legal Society, and God bless all those who are listening now. Uh, Lord, uh, touch every heart and give us uh, each one of us our individual assignments for. Each one of us, we know we can't do it all. We can only do what 